1: Hey, for those of you listening on the free feed, I would love to exhort you again to become a subscriber of Dunked On Prime via our special sale for a yearly membership, dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. Link is in the show notes, but we are offering our our lowest price right now in honor of the mock-off season, most of which is going to be available exclusively to Dunked On Prime subscribers, and of course uh, our free agency and summer league analysis. Never a better time of year to subscribe give it a shot the 2023 nba draft is in the books and if you like chalk this is a good draft for you not only because there weren't a ton of surprises early on but really more so because there weren't the trades that were forecasted at least around when the lottery came out that some of these teams might be looking to move off of picks and this is The fewest trades that I really can remember in some time for a draft.
2: Right. And I mean, especially at the top where there when we saw the lottery, like, oh, I wonder what Charlotte's going to do. I wonder what Portland's going to do. Maybe you see something with Houston or Detroit because they want to get better faster. And the only trade in the first nine picks was seven for eight with some other stuff. And then you and then the only trade at, in the top 10 that was different than that was 10 for 12 and some other stuff. And of course, we'll get into both those. But yeah, it was a very quiet kind of big move deal, though. We, of course, have some other stuff to discuss. And, you know, that allowed other things to take center stage, which is always fun. So, Victor Buenviyama went number one,
1: and he was uh, emotional. He seemed to even be surprised that he was emotional uh, hearing his name called by Adam Silver as the number one pick. And certainly, if anyone was following his media appearances around the New York area, including uh, his appearance on J.J. Reddick's podcast, he was, uh, I thought, just unbelievably polished. Incredible in terms of interviews. And appears to have every possible attribute you would want mentally. Like he's, he kind of said this at one point. I I think it was on JJ's podcast that he's like trying to win. The PR battle too like with the with his interviews like a battle but and it, that definitely showed so I, I thought he was fantastic uh, and just really excited to see what the future holds for him he did or we did hear from Greg Popovich who says that he will participate in summer league to what degree we're not certain yet and I certainly hope he'll be playing on July 2nd in the California summer league just down the freeway from us in Sacramento because uh, I would like to be there
2: it was a very cool moment to see live, and just briefly, I'll talk about some of the fun of being at Barclays Center. This is the first draft I've gone to since 2012, which was in Newark. You know, the Barclays Center wasn't built then, as far as I can recall. It definitely the draft wasn't there. Is it's a reminder of how massive a moment this is for all of these players, their families, their support systems, the people who made that day possible, starting with them, but going far beyond that. And Wemba was a great example there. And there were a lot of Spurs fans. there, kind of maybe a pilgrimage of sorts to to see a player get drafted, not to watch him play in a game or anything like that. And you could tell that he really felt the moment. And that's great. That's what we want from these players. It is a massive life moment for them and my biggest advice to all of them would be to savor it because you you don't you don't get to get drafted another time so it's it was really fun to see a lot
1: Set the scene for us. Uh, I've never covered a draft before. Uh, on TV, you can see the stage. You can see the quote-unquote green room, which I don't know why it's called that because it's just a, it seems like it's a bunch of tables right in front of, of the stage. But just where is the setup? Where do they have the media? Where do they do all the interviews and stuff?
2: Okay, so there are different places of media seating, but the main media seating, especially if you're fortunate enough to get there early, which I was um, – is actually right behind the back table. So if you think of the stage as the front, the there are a couple of different you know rows of of tables, and then the furthest back row of tables butts up directly against the main media section. And the seats are very close together, but that also means that you're you're very close to everything else. And so like for example, my seat was two rows away from Jaime Jaquez, now of the Miami Heat, and so you're getting to see a lot of this stuff. And you also get the one of my favorite things to see in person is. Is How the other tables react to to what happens. And so, for example, when Jet Howard got drafted, Michigan guy, of course, his whole table erupts and, and his brother and Juwan Howard and everything else. But also Kobe Bufkin was at a different table who went to Michigan and then all the other guys who have a connection. So like, I think Hawkes might know him and also like you'd see the players sometimes stand up or like Victor Wambanyama was pretty much out of the room when Bilal Kulabali got drafted, but apparently his reaction was really strong. And so you get those kind of friendships and you, you see a lot of that on the, you know, the combine trail and everything else that these players know each other, but their families and their you know agents. And another one of the really fun parts of it is that it's, of course, the draft has changed dramatically with. Some social media and, you know, kind of how information spreads. And so, for example, F. Hawk, as I said, I was right behind his table. I you know I I was hardwired in so I saw the tweet pretty fast and I was trying to watch when somebody told him which was I think was like 15 seconds after I saw it and that idea because it's not you're not getting surprised by it and then also you know the league has to know because they run all the camera people over so they can get those reaction shots so even in a circumstance like um the raptors that pick wasn't tipped it was you know silver was the first first person I saw make it so it was you know the camera people scurrying over to the table it was very cool
1: were you any anywhere- close to cam whitmore's table
2: i was not um i think he was pretty far away i was far from some of the more significant followers that were present whitmore nick smith's table was pretty far from me so yeah it's it, but those players often get a lot of sympathy in the room there were you know it's not packed with fans but there were a fair amount of them they were very boisterous which was which did add to the atmosphere um okay. but yeah i can imagine that was that was definitely tough
1: a lot of jets fans there to boo uh jeff logman or uh, <laughs> was the other guy kyle brady
2: <laughs> i mean <laughs> it, it is a shame that crowd. there wasn't an, a Knicks pick anywhere high because even though it is at barclays and the nets did have two first round picks like i mean i just i remember back when you know I, it was in newark and it was at the Nets home stadium, and that was still full of Knicks fans. It was fun.
1: Yeah. And uh, the Knicks fans like booing Porzingis and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's always always great. Um, So, did you like go to a lot of the interviews or they have like some interview room set up at like the bowels of the stadium or something like that?
2: They have interview rooms set up, but the answer is no for me. Basically, you have to make a decision about where you want to be because it's very hard to move from place to place. It's sort of in a way like when the finals end, where they're just there are different things going on in different places. And so like I had one of the seats in the in the like a good seat in the other place and I could have I could have left there. But it also but then I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have been able to get back because those were especially in the early going hard to come by. And and so there are two interview rooms. I think they're fairly parallel to each other. And then but so how the, how it works is that the players go from, you know, they go from their their. their Green room up to the furnace stage. They do a short interview. I believe that's with ESPN ABC. I'm not sure because we're yes. watching. We're watching the local. Uh, I get. I think they. Somebody called it the arena broadcast. Maybe it's NBA TV. I don't really know. But which is not that we're not watching the ESPN ABC broadcast. And then they do that interview and then they walk basically all the way back on a different aisle where they came, incidentally, right by me, which was pretty cool. And then they go to the back and then I think they have handlers to tell them which room to go in and all that. So at that point, then they're, you know, generally they're not in the public eye too much, though. It was very funny. I I left toward I left after the end of the first round, beginning of the second. And I'm just kind of finding my way out of Barclays and I don't know. And I see just on my way out the Thompson Twins. Anthony Black and so like they were still hanging around you know seeing talking with their families sometimes interacting with fans everything else so it's like it is a very jovial atmosphere.
1: Did they make you sign a medical waiver in case you got irradiated by that enormous screen <laughs> next to the stage? It was uh, so, so bright.
2: It was also like it was bright white almost the whole time because it was just <laughs> like they would had like to pick us in <laughs> and stuff and so fortunately you're far enough away that you're not I'm not blinded um, but yeah that was notable. Well, unfortunately was
1: and, you already you already have a child as well. So you
2: know. <laughs> yes, yes. So I, I can be the goggles. They do nothing. But um, <laughs> it's yeah, but it, it's it's a really fun experience. I'm like, I mean, I would say it's probably different for fans than for media members because you're a little bit further away. But if if you can reasonably do it, especially if there's a reason, like maybe it's somebody who went to your alma mater or somebody you care about, like it's a pretty cool moment. And like it means so much to everyone involved. I had forgotten how much I enjoyed it. And it's definitely different. Like, I mean, I was keeping track of things on my ex- sell and everything else like that like you're 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 just in a different headspace when you're there for better and for worse but mostly for better
1: best and worst suit in person both
2: grady dick (laughs) Um, it was it was striking. Um, I, I really liked. So I am i don't know how it came off on TV. I really enjoyed Scoot Henderson's. I thought that it, oh, was, I, it was. I
1: hated that on TV. I, I thought Brandon Miller had him beat.
2: Um, oh, Miller's was nice, too. Yeah. Miller Miller's yeah. Miller's was a little bit more classic. But, you know, it's the idea of it's, it. This is a big moment for you and everything else. So like, I'm fine with going. I'm fine with going big there. So, yeah, it, I don't know if Scoots will age well. But, yeah, I thought a lot of guys thought a lot of guys look good. I mean, the one that was it, Kobe Bufkin who, like, didn't wear who, like, didn't wear anything. Under the jacket I'm like okay hey, do you uh, Yes mess?
1: he was uh, in the Buffkin under that Jacket yes.
2: so but yeah It was it was fun And you, you get all That those guys When they walk by You kind of get to See all that and I Actually inadvertently Ended up on the I Guess you'd call it The red carpet when I Was entering park Lights because again I don't know where Anything is so I Ended up in weird Places
1: yeah i think with the suit you kind of have one choice right you can try to just get something that looks good and it's going to age well and be timeless I, I think like
2: what binyama did
1: yeah if i were going to be drafted that that would be my choice uh, double breasted i don't know that that kind of goes in it but uh, although i think you can get away with that a little bit more when you're seven five or you can just go with the let's go for something crazy that's gonna get you a lot of attention and also will cause you to be made fun of in a few so
2: if that's what they remember you for, so be it
1: yeah or i can just make fun of them now you Okay, oh, of course. Number two, this is where there was some drama throughout the day that Scoot could be gathering momentum. You would have to assume that the only reason for that, although Charlotte and Mitch Kupchak don't have the reputation of doing this and uh, Mitch uh, <laughs> wasn't too articulate uh, on the whole thing uh, <laughs> with his uh, response when he's asked about uh, their investigation into Brandon Miller. However, it seems like that was a smokescreen the whole time. Some other people were pushing that, that he was gaining momentum, which is always hilarious. To me, that the guy is gaining momentum on the last day of the draft process, and you know, it seemed like again bringing bringing these guys in for another workout. And MJ is going to be there this time. Is that, I mean, th- I think that's a good idea if you're Charlotte to put that out there that there's a a possibility you could take Scoot because it seemed like he was the guy that had more interest from other teams, including the Pelicans. Uh, of course, in the end, they took Brandon Miller, and probably not who either of us would have taken there.
2: No, I mean, I had Miller fourth on my board in a different. Team from scoot henderson a player who was still available and time will have to tell i mean there are lots of times that we've lampooned to pick and it worked out there have been lots of times that we pra- praised a to pick and it's, it's worked out well too that's just the nature of our business but Miller's, you know, high floor, modest ceiling wasn't as enticing to me as Scoot Henderson. And I, again, we talked about this a lot at the time. I thought that the Scoot Henderson lamello ball fit was better than like the basic, oh, they're both point guards and all that type of stuff. So, I mean, based on my current evaluation, I think they made a mistake. It could it could turn the other way as as all of these picks can. And I will I will caution that even when we lampoon something or when we praise something that's we're not nobody's perfect at this but yeah no.
1: I, I i mean you're there people aren't listening to this podcast for us not to say who we would have taken exactly we can also exactly acknowledge
2: that, and uh, and so like an perfect sign that it's miller there's also like the the idea of okay he fits into this current version how close is the current version of the hornets to the final one and some of that will be decided by the nec- next level of ownership and yeah i'm i'm disappointed and it's it's there's a fascinating twist of fate here where a few years ago charlotte benefited from a team Making, and you could argue in some ways two teams, even though Anthony Edwards has worked out beautifully. That, you know, that Lamelo Ball fell, the person that we both had number one in the class fell to number three, and they were able to get him. And then they facilitated the guy who could have gone number one in plenty of other drafts falling to number three by choosing someone else themselves.
1: Yeah. no, I still think Miller is going to be a pretty good player. Like I do think he could sure. be a, a lower end all-star and we'll see how big of a weapon his shooting is. Cause that's really his one like real plus skill. And he is a, a very easy fit on basically any roster with the his shooting and size and he could easily end up having a better career than the thompson or, or than at least the men thompson i had him above a star on my board but uh who i also would have taken over him uh and even gonna have a better career uh, than scoot i think uh he, he might be higher floor than both of those guys eh, maybe not higher but in any event i will say that i think scoot henderson is a better fit with Lamelo ball than damian lillard
2: sure and there was also the question i mean even when i mean even now when the, the blazers take scoot henderson the second best player on both of our boards in a tier by himself of is this is this the final kind of roster like big big moves for the Blazers or is there something else coming we don't know that we got the Chris Hance report later on that there hasn't been contact between Lillard and the Blazers for a while that could be interpreted as a positive or negative because that means he hasn't made a trade or anything like that and didn't demand them turning this into a vet at least not in recent time but from portland's perspective this but, is the well right.
1: and then also we should say too if we're going to talk that reporting that shams was his approach was that uh, or not his approach but his thinking was that there is still more time but that if they go to free agency and they don't really have a team that lillard thinks can compete then things may come to a head which is probably stronger reporting than we've had sure. previously. and then chris i'm not sure whether this would be pushed back or not whether that he we would not have any recent communication with the players involving the draft agency or his future so yeah we'll see but i i think scoot is a really good player now the other thing too for portland is hey you think of now maybe you didn't get the trade that you wanted like that trade value is not going anywhere over the next few weeks certainly it's probably not going anywhere over the next six months so this isn't necessarily the end of, uh, of that but when you look at the team that the blazers have right now damian lillard and anthony simons are both guys who are very established 20 point per game score lillard is even better than that. And then you have Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp. Maybe Shaden Sharp can play some at the 3, but he's not really someone who's going to guard the other team's 3 or anything like that. Like he can't really play with Lillard and Simons in in any type of group. Uh and then of course there's Scoot and like Scoot and Sharp like need to play you can't just and we saw this with the Warriors and we'll of course talk extensively about them but maybe you can get away with it for a season but you can't have guys with a talent of Henderson and Sharp and go more than like a year and in Sharp's case it would be two years of those guys not being starting players not being guys who are playing 25-30 minutes a game and they, do, they can't play Sharp and Henderson 25 minutes a game next year with their current roster so it would be shocking to me if all four of Lillard, Simons, Henderson, and Sharp are all on their team to start next year. Like That just is not something that you
2: ever see. It is very close to a fundamental incongruity because it's not only you have Damian Lillard, but it's the expectations of your team because giving Scoot and Sharp the reps, generally that is going to come with a sacrifice in terms of your win expectancy for those minutes. And so if you're giving them more minutes then you're going to run into that and so it's a it's kind of a you know a round peg in a square hole or vice versa you know like that that's a it's a challenge that they're going to have to navigate it is also you know the the parallels between Lillard and Beal don't seem to end here where they've kind of chosen their road but they haven't been willing to make that other decision and we'll see how that affects the the potential return maybe it's not as big of a deal but it could be, and I I wonder just how the, how all that's going to work out, but Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp, if they end up moving to a next stage, that's a pretty exciting foundation to jump off from.
1: Yeah, I mean, whether or not they're unbelievable basketball players, it's going to be an unbelievable show. That that at least uh, will be true, and yeah, I think if you, if Scoot and Lillard and Sharp and Simons didn't play the same position, then maybe there's would be a way for it all to kind of work together but it really seems like there just isn't a way for it to happen and keep everybody happy even before you talk about Lillard wanting to compete championships just simply the available minutes at the
2: with Scoot Henderson off the board and you know we we know that a trade didn't happen who who was or was not theoretically bandied about there I mean we'll have to kind of see that in time maybe it sounds like Zion wasn't but we'll have to see uh, that left Houston with a decision, and they made the decision you and I both agreed with, taking Amen Thompson over not only his identical twin brother, but players like Jarrus Walker and Anthony Black and Taylor Hendricks and cool Bali And Thompson is at present an awkward fit with their group because they have a lot of young players who at least want the ball in their hands. I, I think that the fit... Conceptually, between Amen Thompson and Jalen Green is actually good if one of them pops, because the other one probably isn't good enough to run an offense. But expectations are tough and everything else. So my belief here is take the best talent available. You don't know who's going to hit and who's not. So see see if it works. And this probably the guy who I think could actually weirdly benefit from this is Kevin Porter Jr. It's not going to seem that way, but I think Porter Jr. is best as an off ball player. And Amen Thompson can actually help him kind of make a healthier set of looks. And I don't know if KPJ is going to be a star like going to be great in that role but I think it's better off for him
1: yeah this is another team that's going to have some pretty insane athleticism because uh, we can talk uh, about the fact that they got Cam Whitmore at 20 uh, as well we'll fold that into this discussion but yeah you think that probably what they're going to do is start a men Thompson at point guard pretty soon uh you would think like playing playing him at the three in some ways makes it even harder to get enough shooting and maybe men just beats out Tari Eason for the starting three job and Eason's like oh maybe a little bit more of a four you know they've gone to other guys that aren't really threes like KJ Martin and Jay Sean Tate there so maybe you would say in some ways it would be almost Kevin Porter Jr. versus Atari Eason KJ Martin and Jay Sean Tate if you're going to assume that Thompson is going to start right away maybe you won't I I think this will be really good for Houston even though you have a very young team to create some competition in camp where even if it is competition among young guys that you're making guys earn their minutes at least to some degree. Obviously, Amen Thompson is going to play, but my thinking Thompson is certainly raw, but my thinking is that he's going to come in and he'll also play better defense than Kevin Porter Jr., which is be I think getting better defensively under Eme Udoka is one of the ways it's probably easier for them to do maybe than getting better offensively at least early on. So, that'll be fascinating to see how they work all this out and but I agree with you Kevin Porter Jr. seems like kind of the ideal sixth man and they don't really have have a great backup point guard either now but then you throw in the possibility of them just signing somebody in free agency how is that player going to fit in Uh, this is a team that has a lot of guys and Whitmore is another one now that you in theory want to develop and there's especially when you consider that they're probably going to bring in at least one starter if not two in free agency given what their plans are it's going to be a pretty savage competition for minutes in Houston
2: absolutely and they have so many guys on rookie scale contracts now that will be not only competing for minutes and everything now, but eventually for next contracts with the Rockets or elsewhere. I mean, you have Green, Smith, Shangoon, Eason, Garuba, Josh Christopher, Tai Tai Washington, Amen Thompson, Kim Whitmore. That is nine players on rookie scale contracts, none of whom will be in the final year of their rookie scale contract. This coming season, that's they'll have. And so how you square that up, how you fill out the rest of the roster. Oh, yeah. And that's right. They're going to have massive amount of cap space this year. You know, 60 plus million in space, which you also can't really use on a single player. And because of the salary floor, like you're going to have to use a significant portion of it some way, somehow. So, yeah, it's it's a lot for Rafael Stone, a lot for Ime Udoka. To manage, but you bet on talent. You hope that it works out.
1: And then getting Whitmore, he had a precipitous fall. Was being mocked as early as number four potentially to the Rockets. Although recent reporting from Kelly Eco, and of course, there's incentive for everyone to say this. Oh, they were never they were always locked in on Men Thompson. But I think it's more likely that than that. Oh, it was really neck and neck, you know, between Cuppy Coffee and Biggie Bagel and. <laughs> uh dinky donut or other guy the guy's name is where they just have this like fake scoreboard race at dots but you uh yeah you know who's gonna win in, uh, at the beginning of the race but yeah so cam whitmore though supposedly they had him in supposedly they were looking at him detroit was supposedly looking at him at five as well and i wasn't as high in whitmore as some you know I, kp and hollinger were definitely hiring him liked the, the athleticism liked the steal rate uh i didn't like anything else about him in, in particular we, we spent 40 minutes talking about him which is uh, and in the end ironic for what ended up being the 20th pick and we didn't talk about Bilal Koulibaly at all so I tried to do a little bit of research on him for this uh, to talk about him but certainly the value of Whitmore like I understand what his fans liked apparently there are some medical issues uh, did we ever get any understanding of what that might be I haven't seen anything no I mean he had a thumb issue early in the season that kept him out but you wouldn't think that that would be something that would potentially red flag him but he is definitely a bowling ball in transition that it's a little bit of an issue because they have a ton of athletic three, four types who can't shoot well enough. And so again, he's going to have to just fight his way to minutes and he, he may just end up kind of sitting on the bench or playing at Rio Grande Valley. If I were another team right now, I would definitely be trying to zoom in on the likes of Kenyon Martin Jr. And maybe even a Josh Christopher, if there's a team that, that likes him, like he has zero path for minutes this year. Uh, maybe Ty Ty Washington, if you liked him, if they're just, if Houston were interested in, I mean, I think they'll bring all these guys to camp. You you would think, but maybe at the end of camp, if some of these guys are really kind of towards the back of the rotation, they could be had. I think some of them still have potential, even if there aren't enough minutes for them. But you can also just hold on to these guys too, and some of them will hit, and some of them won't. And I don't think that there is ever there aren't many circumstances I can think of where a team like literally had too many guys, and just unless you feel like guys just can't develop in that circumstance, which I disagree with, think you're you're okay, just keeping all these guys around and there'll be injuries and in an 82 game nba season like everyone's gonna have a chance guys will go down in the g league they'll kick ass guys will play poorly like there's 82 games there's maybe not everyone can play every game but guys can play enough to show you whether they can do
2: anything anything. absolutely and they'll also have summer league and training camp and everything else but we can move to the next team houston and they're probably their big dream was for somebody sorry detroit um their big dream was for somebody to make a mistake this was seen as a four-player draft if somebody doesn't take one of those four then just could have gotten them. Instead, they got somebody who is genetically identical to one of those four in Asar Thompson. The second time in NBA history that identical twins were taken back to back in the lottery. The Morris twins, that was th- that happened to them as well. And Asar Thompson, fifth on my board, even though I think that he's pathway to stardom is narrower the athleticism positional size it makes sense a lot of different places and i don't love him as an immediate fit with the pistons but as came up with charlotte just a bit ago you don't draft a player for as a young developing team you don't draft a prospect and you shouldn't do it anyway for the team you have now you should draft a prospect and figure out where the team is when they're closer to being ready and so I don't know how Assar meshes with Ivy and with Cunningham and a lot of bigs that don't shoot particularly well, though they have some that do like Isaiah Stewart, but you figure it out. And I I, like, really like the idea because Cade hasn't really been a ball pusher in his time der- in Detroit of having a second transition force alongside Jaden Ivy. I've sold myself more on that during the kind of like offseason preview part of part of this our, our kind of offseason. And so I'm a fan.
1: I'm a fan because I think the way they've moved and we'll see if there's more to their offseason now with their cap space but there was talk they could maybe trade this pick and there's there pressure to get better and all that yeah I think the acquisition of Monty Williams and him likely having a pretty big voice considering the amount that they're paying him and just the absolutely ridiculously long contract that he has I think that has kind of extended the runway a little bit maybe even taken some pressure off this Pistons team to have to get better this year and Maybe even they noted that they don't have a great way to do that. So there's talk they could trade this pick. There's talk that they might possibly try something for fit or move down or something like that. But I, there really wasn't a great fit of a player for them. I mean, other than transition, and you know, they could really use a three defensively. Like they don't really have that player in the pipeline defensively. So if Asar could be that, that would be really useful. Or you could say Cunningham's a three and Asar is the two. Whatever, however you want to see it. uh I mean, they should have pretty good size at the one through three now. They should be pretty good in transition. And the reality is though, like I don't think Jaden Ivey showed enough in his first year that you would never consider drafting someone else at his position. And you know, a star might replace him, he might not. He might just bust completely as well. But to me, he clearly was the best remaining talent on the board. And maybe doesn't have quite the upside of a men, but I, I think it's still gonna be a pretty good player. And to me, was the, the clear pick here. Uh and so I, I'll applaud the Pistons, even though this wasn't necessarily easy to just acknowledge where they are, take the right player, the best talent. They suck right now. Just get the best talent in the door. And these things have a way of figuring themselves out.
2: A team that I do not feel did that, especially at six, is the Orlando Magic. And the first stunner here was that it seems like some of the source reporting was completely correct. The Magic defied a lot of things last year by taking Paolo Banquero, which was not expected early on, and we had heard things about Anthony Black at four for a few weeks now, and so you have that that part of it, which is notable, but not super compelling. However, Anthony Black, there are a lot of things that you and I like about him, but one of the big problems is he's a limited jump shooter, and that has weird on-ball utility because of that, and I'm sure some will argue that if you have guys like Franz Wagner and Paolo and though that that flaw matters less however in some ways i think it actually matters more because it it raises the stakes for his set shot and everything else and so not only drafting black over some of the players i mean i had black 10th of 10 players that we scouted but also because it's so it's kind of eerie that he's in some ways duplicates other players they have that have been disappointments, including to different degrees, Markel Fultz, who, you know, his has worked well within his limitations, but also Jalen Suggs, who they drafted just, was that two years ago?
1: Uh, yes, it was two years ago uh, that they drafted Jalen Suggs uh, in addition to Franz Wagner. And so this is now a third sorry, uh, the third of four years that they have drafted kind of a combo guard, maybe a little bit different skills between Cole Anthony at 15, Jalen Suggs a couple of years ago, and now Black at six. This certainly is an acknowledgement that Jalen Suggs is not any kind of a sacred cow in the organization. I wouldn't say Cole Anthony is that either. And then, of course, they have Michael Fultz, who's a better player than any of these guys so far and starts, and Fultz uh, also shares some of the strengths and weaknesses that Black does. And so I think the idea of, hey, like we need a guard, okay, absolutely. Uh, just getting more defensive playmaking, more transition, more athleticism. I don't think like Anthony Black is going to be a bad player necessarily, but uh, I would say of all the teams he could have gone to, the fit here might potentially be the worst. Now, I think just getting more intelligence, more guys who know how to play, who are going to play hard, I mean, that's useful. But I think you're ending up looking at a third guard. The, the thing that we talked about, though, is there isn't really that obvious fit at six. Uh, for what they might have been looking for, nor was there really like a high upside play. Who would you have taken at that point? Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because... slim rough neck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code cap space at checkout you just remember we talk about cap space all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us I mean, there really is not, you know, I had some guys ranked higher than black, but nobody who, uh, you know, and they got a kind of a shooter guy as another guard and Jet Howard at 11, although that was not someone that people were projecting to take that high though, we can kind of talk a little bit about like the whole idea of like him being reached or not but uh well
2: so yeah i would have have taken yeah i would have taken hendrix and just hope that it worked out with everybody and you know that maybe i mean you even consider potentially grady dick but i think i would have i would have gone with hendrix there he was the best player on my board left and he you know as overstuffed as their front court is i think hendrix does different things than any of the guys they have and you can solve all the rest later
1: yeah maybe so and not Jonathan Isaac of course I, I imagine isn't going to necessarily be part of their plan going forward and you could say maybe Hendricks could play you know would it be possible to kind of play Hendricks with his shooting at the four Paolo, and then Franz at the three and Franz at the two and they could just kind of all toggle defensive assignments maybe you play Hendricks uh, at the five some as well yeah maybe I mean I, I don't I don't I think just due to his shooting ability and his room protection he just has he can play with more types of players that, than Black can. Uh, but, you know, he's also more raw. I'm sure they're very familiar with him. They went to school in Orlando. Uh, so they, they definitely made the evaluations that they made. There's been a mixed record for this group.
2: Uh, and and Nate, I hits. don't know if you saw the yeah. connection that Anthony Black's dad played growing up in Milwaukee with Jamal Mosley, which is a just a weird parallel.
1: No, I didn't know that. Uh, so then at 11, they take Jet Howard. A lot of people had Gritty Dick not mocked there. And certainly, having a, a guy who can fill it up from the outside is useful jet howard a little bit more of an isolationist score type a son of Juwan howard of course he mentioned earlier and you know, i think he's a, a solid spot up guy maybe he has, you could say he's a little more athleticism and size than grady dick but what i would say the main appeal is is his ability to do stuff off the dribble make some tough isolation shots i don't think that they really need that necessarily with some of the other scores that they have so but again this is one of those things where the player, and the guy that they need is like Scoot Henderson. You know That's the guy that they need. Or they just need like a really tough shooter who can pass and play the one as well. You know, that's, that guy just wasn't available at all. And so I think they just took the guys that they thought were the best. They didn't bother with fit. I mean, that would always be my advice, even for a team like them. They have a lot of prospects in the pipeline. If you're drafting that high, maybe it's not about that. But at the same time, these weren't necessarily the evaluations that we would have had. Jet Howard, we didn't do a full scout on necessarily so I I can't say much more about him than just what he's kind of supposed to be. But, you know, if those guys turn out to be really good, then they made the right pick. So I I think they they trusted their board, they trusted their process, they made the pick, and and we'll just have to see how it works out.
2: That led to the... Transaction between the Washington Wizards and the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers had the seven pick and they drafted Victor Wembanyama's teammate Kula koulibaly but they got two second round picks from the Wizards, who apparently wanted him. He he's distinctly an Oklahoma City type guy. And so winger and it's Dawkins, right? Who's who's the number two there? Yeah, who Will, also Will Dawkins. Oh, Will sorry, Dawkins. can I say
1: one more thing I had in my notes about uh Jed Howard? You know, Jed Howard was being mocked kinda in the late teens, and so oh my god, what a surprise. That uh, he, he got drafted 11. Like, I mean, it's not really that much of a difference between 11 and 17. You think, oh, well, and, not. and, 11 that's almost 10 right you know
2: like well, and you know, there sorry, are times but. that that works i mean cam johnson was a pretty big surprise yeah. and i well and he wasn't
1: it. even being talked about in the teens right but it's just like it's not that huge of a surprise you know even like a jalen williams wasn't necessarily certainly up maybe right at the very end he was being talked about possibly in the lottery but he was deemed to be a guy who wasn't like most teams were thinking of him in like late teens early 20s last year but so but it's just overall your expected value from pick 11 versus pick 17 or or 18 is not that great and it's completely reasonable that some people could have a guy ranked in the late teens and others could have him ranked 11 like that's that's not like totally insane at all and the other thing i'll say too you know the warriors this is a constant reminder but the warriors oh yeah like you know we had uh uh brandon prozemski as uh you know way higher on our board every single time you draft a player it would be impossible unless every other team's board was exactly the same as yours for a guy not to be higher on your board than you actually end up picking. So unless it's like, you know, the the first couple of picks so once you once you're in your teens, every team every pick that's made the team will be able to say that and many times they're right and many times they're wrong it's it's rare that uh the draft goes perfectly throughout any stretch of it whatsoever so anyway uh back yeah. back to koulibaly which
2: is, well yeah, can i, can right I tell a story story about koulibaly quick though oh sure yeah so as listeners will know i saw victor wambuyama twice in in france at the beginning of the french league season and i kept on racking my brain like god i never i felt guilty it's like there was another guy who. Potentially could be like a in the first run pick at one point and then maybe a lottery pick. And I'm like, well, well shit, like how did I how did he not pop for me? I figured out the answer during the draft. I, looked, I went back and found the box scores from those two games on Basketball Reference. He played a total of eight minutes in those four games. He played four in each of them. And so I felt a lot less guilty because Koulibaly, an impressive late riser, late bloomer, both physically and in terms of his draft stock.
1: Yeah, until about january or so he was playing mostly for uh mets 92's second division team and came up and actually played some effective minutes uh, for them Uh, one of these late growers and 7-2 wingspan definitely uses his length uh, particularly on defense gets good extension on his finishes not quite a nuclear athlete but definitely a very very good he's not quite a like head at the rim guy but he's kind of that next level down from that pretty quick first step pretty good change direction certainly thin but gets into a nice stance can slither over screens pretty well very good in transition aggressive plays hard pretty good athlete now big time questions about his shooting danny this will uh, uh may give you ptsds so you might want to earmuff this one i thought that his shooting form remind me of dante Exum's. uh uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so there's going to need to be some surgery there he's, he hasn't even turned eight or uh, 19 yet uh and he's got like pretty good ball handling loose makes doesn't make great decisions uh, as well but uh, he'll rebound he, he'll get up for some tip dunks and certainly going to be a project very okc style of pick uh, and as you might expect with michael winger and uh, will dawkins who just got brought over from okc and winger started there before going over to the clippers and uh, particularly the fact that they traded up to get him it ended up only but what was the cost? two seconds two seconds 20, uh, both
2: seconds. in 28 it's the wizard's own 28 second and the sun's 28 second
1: yeah which they had acquired in the Beal deal which we'll uh we'll hit on here pretty shortly so i actually this was a, a big surprise to some clue i was considered a riser was not able to participate in the pre-draft process because his team just finished up losing in the french finals where he was again playing minutes uh, within the week I'm not sure whether his shooting and ball skills and passing are any catch up to where he's drafted here, but unlike a lot of the guys who are kind of taken as these raw wing projects, he at least has the goods physically, which I think, you know, your Jared Culver types don't, right? Or, or, uh, you know, even Isaac Okoro was strong, but not, you know, didn't really have much bounce around the basket and, you know, he could dunk with a head of steam, but couldn't shoot either. And so he's, uh, you know, not really that truly out standing physical wing prospect and even also like kind of more of a shooting guard i would say defensively now but certainly could fill out and guard the three maybe even some four in time depending on what his frame ends up looking like so given who is around at this point nobody really with a ton of upside and whitmore it seems like was kind of ruled out due to medical situation so if you're gonna say it wasn't him and i i wasn't a huge whitmore guy anyway i completely understand this pick it's definitely in terms of the offense he is very raw but this I get it because there wasn't anyone else that I loved here he plays a premium position he has the physical tools for that that position and those guys tend to work out pretty well especially when they have like a little bit of bend a little bit of hint of ball skills the way that Koulibaly does some feel as a cutter those sorts of things uh Victor Wembanyama said he should be top five he actually ended up not being too far off and
2: well we'll get to find out if Wembanyama is as good a general manager as most other high level players
1: yeah definitely and so Indiana I, I guess the reason Washington offered this was th- these couple of seconds, and I imagine the reason the seconds are so far out is just because Washington plans to be bad for a while, so they they weren't willing to offer a second earlier on in the process. But that Phoenix twenty twenty eight second is like might end up being a nice pick. Um,
2: I think now is a reasonable time to talk about the the other the other move that Washington made that generated headlines. And that was earlier in the day. Do you do you agree yeah. that we can go there?
1: Oh uh, yeah, to just completing the Beal trade,
2: completing the Beal trade, and then you know trading chris yeah. paul yeah. Lo- yeah lifelong wizards li- lifelong wizard christopher paul to the golden state warriors and the terms of the deal as we understand them right now golden state sending jordan Poole. Ryan Rollins, who was their second round pick in 2022, a protected 2030 first round pick, which now that this draft is completed, they can send. And they're yeah, top 20 s- protected, by the way,
1: which is that that's actually huge that it's only that its top 20 protected. Yeah.
2: So that means it's a lot less. And it has to become either seconds or nothing because you can't push out beyond 2030. And a 27 second to the Wizards. So it was jarring when it happened at first. Not only the, you know, like Mike Dunleavy a, a couple of days ago, said that pool was going to be the plan was to have him with the warriors for four years at least and now he is going to be a wizard as soon as he's, the leader he's already
1: lying like a very experienced gm that's uh, yeah it's, it's, it's good good to know
2: and it's all it's also just a significant piece of business for the warriors because there there are a couple different theories in place and i will say well there there is a I will let you give your t- tweak on it which was very I thought I thought was very ahead of the game on it but on the court I actually really disliked the fit of Chris Paul with the Golden State Warriors he Doesn't make sense in their closing five because Paul is not a point of attack defender anymore. He can do some stuff off the ball, but you never want to take the ball out of Stephen Curry's hands. And the Warriors are reportedly, at least for the time being, acquiring Paul to keep him, not for the other component, which I'm going to leave to you. And so the Warriors trading, you know, trading away Jordan Poole and giving up some treasure to do it. I didn't think they had to do it right now, but there is a rationale, and I'm sure we'll get into that, but – if part of the sales pitch here for Mike Dunleavy and company was adding Chris Paul, I vehemently disagree.
1: Yeah, so let's just go through it again because I, I think another detail came in maybe while you, while you were driving home. It's Chris Paul going to the Warriors. This is also a deal that can – it's easier for it to happen in the offseason. Then you've got Jordan Poole, 2030 protected first rounder, 1 to twenty thirty protected first-rounder, 1-20. to So that's – I mean, if the Warriors are in the top 10 teams in the league in twenty thirty, that would be – that would be quite a surprise and they probably won't really care – at that point, that will certainly mean things have worked out incredibly well for them. Also worth noting too, they could trade the rest of the the pick if they wanted to. They could trade that other twenty still, which would have some value, which it could end up mattering in the end, as as we'll get to twenty twenty seven second. And then they also traded both Ryan Rollins, and they actually traded. Patrick Baldwin Jr. for number fifty-seven, who ended up being Trace Jackson Davis, who is going to be on the roster as a way to just have that super cheap second-round contract that will save them money against the tax. Like that's one of the only contracts, only ways is with your own or or with a your own second-round pick that you can sign a guy and have him count less against the tax than that two years veteran minimum. If you sign a guy just even to a rookie scale minimum, but as a free agent, then he counts at that uh, two-year veteran minimum. So. Uh, you know, Patrick Baldwin Jr. probably wasn't going to play much uh, for them, I don't think. uh He showed the ability to shoot, but literally couldn't do anything else, was really soft, only could defend the power forward, if that, and just wasn't going to play for them this year. So they're going to move him to Washington, where he can maybe be the next Davis Bertans. And, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, actually, you know, he's a 23 year old. He's really athletic. Maybe he could get some tick and run some pick and rolls. Chris Paul, he's a very athletic, big, strong finisher above the rim. And then the big thing though is moving on from jordan pool before we talk about the overall aspects do you agree do you think that the warriors are better on the floor and let's also note that they now have another roster spot open too that they can use to go after a minimum guy who just get another bet in there which helps a little bit but do you think you think the warriors are better on the floor this year with chris paul as opposed to jordan and we both for regular season and play
2: i don't think they are for the regular season in part because pool has been very durable and chris paul is not and so in the games that Chris Paul is healthy? Yeah, possibly. I mean I think you can he's a even if even if the first half of last year was ghastly, like he can he still can, you know, run, pick and roll, he could be a reasonable defender. Teams haven't targeted him, him as aggressively other than in the playoffs. And so I think I think Paul CP was better than Pool last year, but a passage of time helps pool, regression of the mean helps pool, and durability helps pool. And I already brought up why I don't think this iteration of Chris Paul is in the Warriors closing five. I don't think he's in their starting five either. So that's a lot to have for them. So so I would rather, in terms of like, especially when you factor in the idea that Pool could play better than he did last year, I would rather have Pool personally.
0: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and...
1: And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use our CAP SPACE, We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Yeah, Paul is going to turn thirty-nine during the playoffs. So we've done a lot of analysis on his game with respect to the Bradley Beal trade. So we don't necessarily have to rehash that that much. But remains to be seen whether he can really be a threat getting to that jumper out of pick and roll. Like can before we even talk about the fit, it's just what is Chris Paul at this point in time? And he looked like he didn't have the lift to get into that mid range. still averaged a lot of assists, but really, and he took a few more threes, which I think he'll probably try to concentrate on doing even more. But He's never been a guy who hunts that shot. He needs a lot of time, space, and so like, if he can, is he going to be good enough to be the primary pick and roll threat, uh, even on the second unit? Like, yeah, I mean, I think probably. Although they, as of right now, don't really have a roll man partner for. Him. I mean, maybe that Kaminga, but you know, are you just going to switch that? Is Kaminga going to be guarded by the other team's center? So you probably can just switch a power forward onto Chris Paul and like Jonathan Kaminga now going to kill that switch in the other end? Like, probably not. So I, I
2: mean, I don't if, know if, if that's Kurt, really yeah. if Kerr. Wanted to be proactive, he could do what I've suggested for Eons now, which is you play Kavon Looney as the backup center and the starting center because you give Draymond a few other minutes and you work it that way.
1: Yeah, well, but Looney is also a terrible role man. <laughs> also for Chris Paul and Chris Paul really needs a role man who has some gravity at this point in time so maybe I think that'll be a priority is just to add another athletic center somehow who can just be be a backup center pick and roll through. like the theory of their second unit is going to be a lot different um, I hate the fit of Chris Paul and Draymond because when Chris Paul has the ball and he's running pick and roll like what do you do with Draymond? Run pick and roll there? Okay maybe I guess if you like force the other team center to guard Draymond then it could work if they're not willing to switch it but anyway, anyway Anyone else can just switch on to Chris Paul. You might also say if, if Chris and Steph and Clay are all playing together and Draymond, you kind of you run out of perimeter defenders, and at least Chris, even though he's fallen off defensively, it'll still at least be better than Jordan Poole. It's more viable defensively to play him and Steph and Clay together than it was to play Steph Poole, and Clay together. And certainly Paul, no matter what he does, is unless he's just completely out, which he might be, uh, is going to give them more in the playoffs than what Jordan Poole gave in the playoffs now. Should you assume that Jordan Poole wasn't going to give them more in the playoffs this year? Maybe that's a, a unfair assumption. Maybe he was just at an eight tier. They definitely, you would think, sold him at his lowest trade value, except that... So far. Right, exactly. I mean, that, that I think, was a, a particularly with the financial situation, particularly with the second A. This is totally about the contracts and the flexibility, number one, but also at least getting back someone who could play, because if they were going to move Poole, which they weren't going to move Draymond, they weren't going to move Clay, so they had to move Poole probably uh, in terms of like long-term salary because there's a risk that pool would become a toxic contract and if that happened then they couldn't use him as the salary matching in a deal to pick up another starter which i think is ultimately where this is headed for chris paul like this is he's serviceable he fills the need for now so that you can at least sell to everyone that hey you know we gave up a few things but not much you know this is, i mean nothing they're really gonna miss too much uh you know if that was an unprotected 20 or, or a top four protected 2030 pick then i would be feeling
2: or much. or if it had been 19 this year which i i thought so, at one point was in the trade
1: yeah so chris paul will help them in theory you know take some pressure off of Steph. i still have no idea how the hell they're gonna play with chris like i mean as he's gonna try to like dime guys up come off the screens, but that's like what draymond does so draymond will not be off the ball screening and like chris will try to dime up steph and clay coming off the of screens but maybe he just won't play that much uh but and we'll play 20 minutes game during the regular season and not play that much with Steph. maybe some games will close some games won't there's of course the possibility you could get hurt but maybe the thought is you preserve him and maybe he, he'll be ready to go in the playoffs to some degree. But I think, again, it's really more, it reminds me of the Russell deal where it's not a great fit, but you still got a player in who can help you some, but can just be a placeholder for that salary because as you'll recall, like Paul's gotten his salary to guaranteed now because this deal has to be done on July 6th, which is after his guarantee date. And most of it had been guaranteed anyway uh, uh, to make the Beal deal legal, which we'll talk a little bit more about. We have the full terms on that, but he's completely not guaranteed next year. And so he could be moved at the deadline or even as an expiring contract next off season i would say you want to be pretty aggressive at the deadline i mean shit, they could move them even at some point in, uh once free agency is done or, and teams are not really uh you know kind of face reality on what their season looks like but they still have a pretty good amount of things they can trade they can trade jonathan Kaminga, who is like slightly rumored to be in trade rumors with the pacers they can trade a 2026 first in all likelihood they could trade a 2028 first they can trade one through 20 of 2030 they can trade some swaps and so now that i've rambled on a a little bit longer about you know potentially trading for another starter keeping the salary up etc and also by the way you should probably praise joe Lacob because he apparently is going to pay a massive luxury tax bill that he didn't think he was probably going to pay this year unless they reduce a bunch of money in a Paul trade this to me is just an acknowledgement with the trade of pool that there's just going to be some pain when the curry era is over that wiseman pool moody Kaminga, those guys were supposed to be like hey maybe these guys all develop and like we'll, we'll be on the two timelines and as soon as curry is aging out then we'll have these guys we'll be able to still be a winning team that dream is dead
2: it is and it happened in a pretty stirring fashion when you consider not only his pool going out but also both of their picks last year in patrick baldwin and ryan rollins so i i'm a little bit more optimistic on on baldwin jr than you are just because a guy who could shoot that well you can maybe yeah, figure something but he wasn't going up. to help them
1: this year like that no this he year, wasn't next year. like those are the years that matter i mean you frankly with steph turning thirty. 36 during next year uh, like next april i mean they, he might just not even be at that level this year but the clock is obviously ticking too
2: it is and so your framing of of it in terms of d'angelo russell is is a potentially astute one however you know just like d'angelo russell there is a distinct possibility even stronger in this case because of the contractual situation that the second part of it doesn't work out as well as the russell trade did they got fortunate that wiggins was available and that the team who didn't see Russell, most notably the way that we did, was still interested when, when everything happened. That trade worked out beautifully for the Warriors, but if you run that same risk, 10 times. I think it blows up in their face probably six to eight of those. And with Paul, not only the injury stuff, but also I'm going to, I will praise Lake for being willing to spend this year. Like there were other ways they could have done a pool trade where they would have saved money for the 23, 24 season and potentially saved a lot of money. But the idea that, you know, Chris Paul could turn into basically just, you know, you save a bunch of money in future years you got off a pool. But if you traded pool at the lowest value he's had so far, I think he's going to have a better 23 three twenty four than you did twenty two twenty three. And then you panic traded a guy who may actually help you more and you could have you didn't have to do the move that you did. And that's why I had been positing that the Warriors were could very reasonably run it back and instead they're doing something fundamentally different.
1: Yeah and it's been bandied about man Jordan Poole. He averaged twenty five points a game when he started last year and was a twenty for the season and I mean I'm sorry, watching those games, like, yes, he performed an important role, but he really needed Draymond with him. I think that's actually kind of part of why he didn't work as well as a reserve too, is that he needed to be paired with Draymond and that's their bench kind of turned around a little bit when they did put Draymond on that that second unit, but Poole not really able to play point guard, not really able to run an offense, get to his spots as a dribbler and pick and roll, turned it over a ton and he was just atrocious defensively. And so you can make the argument maybe that he could have played next year, Stephen Clay would have missed games, People kind of forget about how shitty he was in the playoffs. But the playoffs was, he also sprained his ankle in the playoffs, but the playoffs was not shocking to me. Like that was a continuation of kind of what I saw in the regular season, which admittedly he was better the previous year. But you throw in the punch, you throw in the fact that he just never was going to have a path to starting. Like they paid him, but that apparently was not enough to truly make him happy, particularly again because of the punch. And it seemed like there's some tension there, understandably so, but also just because the way that Jordan plays is absolutely enraging with the way he turns it over and being a complete traffic cone.
2: Oh well, I, guess the I mean cone one, one foul, of the most so memorable exactly Jordan worse. Poole moments is when he got Stephen Curry ejected because Curry threw his mouthpiece so pissed at a Jordan Poole shot and got auto ejected.
1: Yeah, that was fantastic. Uh so <laughs> and and I think this is just an acknowledgement of like our goal now is just to continue to keep it together around Steph, Clay, and Draymond. Presumably Draymond will be back. We'll, we'll talk about that. But but again, to me the point of all of this is just Chris Paul was probably the only guy they could get who would be an expiring contract right now that would also help them, and you know CP probably was like about to get traded like the Clippers or something too, right? Like they they had to at least maybe a little bit beat the offer and maybe pool pool was that. We'll talk about this from the Wizards' standpoint in a second, and we're going on about this forever, but it's just such a fascinating trade. But to just get like they didn't have any other matching salary other than pool to bring in a guy who would be a starter, and now between Kaminga and their picks, like they can put together. A competitive package with Paul for really any kind of starter level player that they want to bring in. And with Pool, maybe they would not have been able to do that. Maybe he would have turned it around a little bit, but there was also the possibility that he just got a lot worse. And quite frankly, the other thing is, I expect that Tyler Hero and Anthony Simons, two probably superior players to Pool on almost identical contracts, in Simon's case, a better one, those guys are going to be pretty available like soon. So I think the risk of holding on to Pool was just too great when the most of that were going to play was 15 minutes a game in the playoffs anyway for you and yeah you might have helped during the regular season but ultimately that's not where this team is trying to go in the-
2: but we can shift this lens to the wizards and it's always useful to remember that a trade being good or bad for one team does not necessarily mean the same for the other i absolutely love this transaction for the washington wizards for a couple of reasons one even if that first run pick is not what we thought originally it's so heavily protected that it's a more modest asset they did get you know Rollins and Baldwin who are interesting. They got this 27 second. They got off of, you know, Chris Paul. I mean, however you want to see that contract, he did did just get traded again in this kind of, you know, in this transaction. But the Wizards, by virtue of the other moves they've made, trading away Beal, trading away Kristaps Porzingis to the Celtics less than 24 hours before this deal. In the new CBA, it is actually impractical to have your books completely empty because it's almost impossible for teams to spend that kind of money. And so they were able to get Poole treated as a distressed asset when he is less distressed for them, and potentially they could rehabilitate him. And also, Jordan Poole is distinctly not so good that he will significantly weaken. In fact, he could strengthen their draft picks over the next couple of years when it looks like they intend to be bad. So for Michael Winger, you sacrifice something that wasn't as big of a sacrifice for you as for other teams, and you got some resources to do it. Yeah,
1: this is a, a similar approach, although with, with an even younger player, to the one that Sam Presty did in the second rebuild in OKC of getting players that needed to be dumped from contending teams that also could be rehabbed. Poole is really the only guard they have who can score. And I mean, they have a billion, billion guards right now, like Tyus Jones, Monte Morris, Salon Wright. Did finally get rid of Chris Paul, but uh they still yeah. got Johnny Davis on this team as well. They got Corey. Cus- I mean, they have so many guards. And some- is,
2: is is this the only time we'll ever bring up Jordan Poole and Al Horford in the same sentence? Because that's that was the theory of the Al Horford trade, which worked out really well for the Thunder.
1: <sighs> yeah uh and and the whiz also and the other thing is just they had so much cap space next off season already at this point and we're presuming they're not going to bring back Huzma, and if they do they'll probably be look trade immediately so yeah jordan Poole, like he's kind of exciting he'll at least like take some shots it'll make them at least like look was watchable hopefully although i i consider myself a winner in this trade because i just couldn't stand watching him anymore with just some of the terrible turnovers and just like how abjectly hopeless he was defensively as just a low effort, high foul guy. Just anytime the other team went Adams just like the result, so predictable. But so yeah, there isn't much opportunity cost here for the Wizards. I think sixty million in cap space next off season. They even still have thirteen this year too. They didn't really take on much for this year of anything. They, the Warriors do end up saving about ten million dollars by getting off of Baldwin Jr. and Ryan Rollins. Oh, another small guard they have but, uh, now. So Wiz also have sixteen guaranteed contracts, and that's before any of their second rounders. They also drafted uh, Tristan Vukcevic uh, in the second round. Anything else on this one? Let me just make sure I didn't miss anything in my copious notes here. Ah, yes, I do have something. I've noted this before, but a big trend that we're seeing is that guys with quote-unquote bad contracts and non-guarantees that quote-unquote aren't worth it very often end up getting traded and getting a pretty significant guarantee. And Danilo Gallinari was one of those guys last year. They had to boost him up. And they've. this has been non guarantee guys, big beneficiary of the rules that came in in the 2017 CBA where you now can't just get traded at your full salary if you're non-guaranteed and then get waived you have to have your salary guaranteed to count at your full salary in the trade essentially and so we saw that again uh with cp so that that rule is basically it hasn't necessarily stopped teams from making those transactions as much because they're just let them expire the next year but it has gotten a lot of guys paid uh, i think uh mo Bamba and malik beasley Although Beasley's on a team option those might be some of the next guys depending on, on what oh. the lakers decide to do
2: and he was lower level but i mean this affected the Wizards and Mike Muscala in the Porzingis trade just a few days ago but sure. he he was more of a close call of course
1: yeah but there have been a lot of these guys who have and also like for Chris Paul like he can still play some right and so even if he's overpaid he's still like that's part of why he ended up getting his salary guaranteed even if it wasn't worth the entire thing
2: so to get back to the draft itself we talked about the Wizards getting Bilal Bali. we did not talk about the Indiana Pacers moving down to take the guy it seems like they wanted in the first place which is Jarris Walker power forward out of Houston
1: yeah and I didn't care I, I I think Walker's gonna be a good player I like his physical tools I think he fits in but the fit of him in Indiana to me well I guess we could talk first about the the trade-up from Washington it seemed like that was basically Washington just being like hey we really want Koulibaly and we know Indiana is talking about making trades here we just need to make sure like there's talk that the Spurs might be trying to move up to get Koulibaly although they didn't have another pick uh, in the first round so it would have taken a lot of scratch probably but although maybe they could could have included one of their players so i think there was just a feeling from watching like we really like Kulibali. we'll give up a couple of seconds in 2028 to go get him oh also from uh washington's standpoint we didn't talk about the completion of the bld we should probably do that before we get back to
2: the yes right. thank you for getting back to that before we completely lost that thread so the part that we didn't know are the terms of the the basically the draft compensation going from phoenix to the wizards and it's significant so the wizards phoenix had i think it was seven seven or eight second round picks available the wizards got six of those and they got 24 25 26 27 28 and 30 but they're also getting pick swaps, which I don't think we know specifically, but since it wasn't specified, I'm going to say, I'm going to guess unprotected or lightly protected pick swaps in 24, 26, 28, and 30.
1: Yeah. And 28 had already been swapped to the Nets. So this is just putting now Washington third in the order of a group that includes Phoenix, Brooklyn, and Philly. So Phoenix will have the fourth. Oh, no, worst. is
2: it Fe- Washington to go second in the order? Philly goes, Phoenix goes third.
1: Because uh,
2: Washington holds the right. Anyway, it's not that important a distinction.
1: Well, so Phoenix, uh, no, Phoenix had the third worst of Brooklyn and Philly.
2: Oh, you're right. Sorry, I got crossed up. Apologies.
1: Yeah. So then that's what Phoenix was willing to, to was able to trade. So it goes brooklyn philly phoenix washington in 2028 so uh, our cap spreadsheet will no doubt be uh, updated for that Uh, not yet okay but it it will be maybe once that deal is official so and that deal can be and has to actually be official this league year but once you you actually can trade 2030 picks the moment that this draft over essentially uh you don't have to roll it over to the next league year. actually i think i might have said it you have to wait until the league year that is not true i double checked in the operations manager that it's really it, it's based on when the draft is it's seven drafts away once this draft is over the 2030 is now seven drafts away so you can trade this so i mean this is basically the most that they could possibly have given up which you might say hey bradley beal had a no trade clause couldn't you have maybe negotiated a little bit and you know maybe that was negotiating a little bit with getting jordan goodwin i, I don't know it, it definitely was kind of smacks of the lakers a little bit too in some of the early palinka era including the ad1 of the owners being like just fucking get it done and that's what they did as opposed to like hey let's actually negotiate a little bit here they and like i said i would still have done this deal as phoenix it's a logical move after you already got kevin durant and paid the amount that they paid for him but they certainly what like there is a difference between okay i would do this deal and it being a good deal necessarily and clearly they uh it's hard to say that they've won either of the negotiations Put it that
2: way. especially when you consider that they don't have these resources for additional depth adding, and it will be hard. I mean, it gives it gives the players that are currently on the Suns even more leverage in their negotiations. But it, it, it's a good piece of negotiating from the Wizards to basically get all you can, and and I'm sure some of the hand handbringing about them not getting a straight up first. Hopefully, I mean. Pick swaps are a lot less sexy, but and they generally have a lower utility because you're still giving up a pick. And in many cases in these years, the Wizards will probably be worse than the Sun, so you're functionally getting nothing there. But there is equity that comes into these decisions and into these swaps. And so for Washington, like it could be a, you know, especially the deeper ones, there could be a rough year for Phoenix. And so you gain some, you gain some potential draft value.
1: Yeah. And having to do the 2030 swap does suck the That's uh that was kind of a fail too, but that's uh, that's why the deal couldn't be done and uh, until after the draft and then also this has to be done between the draft and the end of this league year to work salary wise. But then to to work salary wise the Paul Golden State deal has to be next league year once Poole bumps up as to be a match for Chris Paul so these ultimately are going to be two separate transactions now we'll get back to Indiana and they needed a four it was kind of no secret that they were looking for a four Jarris Walker was being mocked for a little bit to the Pistons until uh clear that they are going to settle on Asar Thompson just before the draft. They did get their two seconds for moving down to get the guy that they wanted anyway. That's always a good piece of business. But to me, Danny, there are various arguments between Jairus Walker and Taylor Hendricks. And I like Hendricks a fair amount more, just in general. I think there are reasons to think, though, that Walker could be better. But for this particular team, I actually really liked Hendricks a lot more than Walker personally. What did you think?
2: The same, in part because, oh, I mean, significantly because of the offensive ability. Of the two, like Jarris Walker, can can he has better decision making inside the arc? Some of that being he was actually put in a better situation despite Houston's weird spacing, just because they had they had it guys. Hendricks was the best player at UCF, and so and the best player they'd ever had prospect ranking wise. But a consistent, credible shooter who also can get up for, for dunks as a role man. So you could either be have him in the primary action or out of the primary action and Hendricks is still going to get guarded. I thought that was a really good fit with Tyrese Halliburton in particular.
1: Yeah, I think Hendricks, I mean, I like Hendrix's upside on defense due to his room protection. I think he's not far behind Walker as a switch guy, maybe even ahead of him. You know, we'll see on that. Walker definitely, you know, just has kind of a tighter game, more more experience, not as raw you know he's been at this high level for a while hendrix was a big time late riser like isn't necessarily the same level of experience even though they're similar ages but just a, in terms of high level experience doesn't have the same as walker particularly considering walker played on one of the best teams in the country and for a, you know a really high level coach and kelvin Sampson. but i think hendrix with his rim protection is a higher upside there and certainly his shooting is a much better fit and he's a better finisher around the rim too and so maybe the argument with walker as well he could be a better switch to than Hendricks. I'm not sure about that. I think it's possible, but with Tyrese Halliburton and probably with Miles Turner as well, though, Turner, I, I don't think you make this pick with Turner in mind, given his age and where they are in their rebuild. But Tyrese Halliburton has decent size, but he's really thin. He's not going to be a switch guy defensively. So you're probably not going to play switch, but it's nice in that case to have those supplemental the supplemental room protection. If then, I think that Hendricks is a much better play finisher, both from behind the arc and then definitely around the basket on alley oops. I think off offensively you know, you could space out Miles Turner have Hendricks roll. you could space out Hendricks you have Miles Turner roll, depending on uh, who's being guarded by whom uh, on the other team and Jarris Walker like he's not really I think gonna like go catch an alley-oop like his finishing is only okay he's not as explosive as Hendricks and he's not as good a shooter as Hendricks so playing him with Tyrese Halliburton just doesn't make as much sense to me in addition to the fact that I thought Hendricks was just the higher upside prospect anyway
2: yeah I, I am I am in agreement there and And the pacers are gonna they still have a lot of problems to solve, but their loss is the Utah Jazz game and both, you know, theoretically, like Walker and Hendricks were are unusual fits with the combination in the front court of Lowry Markinen and Walker Kessler. But Hendricks' ability to shoot and be a supplemental rim protector, I think A, there are lineups with those three that can work, but B, it gives you another good front court player. And the hope is that all three of them work out. And if you have to move Hendricks later on, that you can get a better premium for him if he's a superior player.
1: Yeah, and I think it's not like that I don't think his skill set would work with Walker Kessler and Larry Markinen. I still think as I noted before the draft that Markinen and, and, and when we talked about Utah's offseason off outlook we hit on this maybe a little bit more if you want more of that discussion on you know who they should take at nine but I think it, Hendricks to me was easily the best player available he can shoot well enough and he can defend well enough I don't think he can guard threes necessarily you're still at some point they're going to need to actually get a real three on this roster but they played a lot with Markinen at the three and the way that Hendricks can shoot and protect the rim he could also really play in a small ball backup front court as well maybe with Markkinen in time and or in matchups where it's not working for Walker Kessler although I think Kessler will be good enough that there aren't going to be many times you're going to want him off the floor at the end of the game but so I, I think he's a talent I think his shooting his rim production is just really interesting at the four I think you know in the meantime he's not going to start for them in his rookie year anyway so uh, he is a little bit more raw but I think he's the best talent available here so I I'm uh, glad that Utah took it.
2: The Jazz also didn't make a move with their next pick, which was 16, and they ended up with Keontae George out of Baylor. All I saw of him was back at the 22 Hoop Summit. Uh, Any thoughts on him?
1: Well, you want to give yours first since you did actually see him in person?
2: Yeah. So I thought that something that was interesting, and I think Keontae George has changed his body a little bit since then, he reminded me a little bit of a younger Eric Gordon, just because he has this bigger frame and you know kind of has like combo guard height, but he you know the idea of him being like having having the ball in his hands, people might forget about that part of Eric Gordon's game a little bit back when he was at Indiana, but you know like can do some things with the ball in his hands, but isn't like dynamic enough at it necessarily at the NBA level to do it. And what I wondered about with George is just kind of how it's all going to fit together. And it seems like his Baylor Baylor time did not exactly answer that because if it had, he would have gotten drafted higher than this.
1: Yeah. he apparently has lost about 20 pounds he played this season wow. at 225 uh so watching him on film you know he didn't look to have that elite first step and explosiveness but certainly a very high skill level as a scoring guard not a great passer definitely you know really a two at this point in time but probably you know not just a total black hole there and good handle change of pace a lot of moves a lot of step throughs euro steps finish with either hand gets pretty good extension at the rim can kind of bounce off guys a little bit you know he wasn't necessarily blowing by guys but a lot of it was decelerate create room for the shot shot it better on catch and shoots off the dribble shooting he created shots didn't necessarily make them as much so overall efficiency really could have been a, a lot better at baylor keandre in his video he called him one of the better shooters in this class and he took a lot of really difficult shots particularly off the dribble but this is a, a, a particularly if you saw him in workouts he also had had uh issues with a sprained ankle late in the season but if he has gotten a lot more explosive. That's that would have been my number one issue with him on film was that he wasn't just blowing by guys necessarily, even though he does have a pretty high skill level to create some separation. And so, like, this is... A shot here at just another one of these scoring guards. He certainly has some similarities with Jordan Clarkson, who's already on the team, and different body type, but Colin Sexton, who's already on the team, and even maybe some with Taylor Horton Tucker, although he's more of a shooter than him. But this is just another bite at the apple, basically, to try to find someone who can score, who can be that perimeter guy of the future. And then they took another look at someone like that uh, with Bryce Sensabaugh at 28.
2: Sensabaugh went to Ohio State, was a productive scorer and kind of ties in with something came up when we were doing their offseason preview, which is that unfortunately for the Utah Jazz, this was not a year that had those dynamic lead guard prospects and, you know, would be great if they could get even if it was like a low end roll of the dice at a point guard who had starter upside, like, you know, at nine, let's say those guys weren't there. And so instead you get players like Sensabaugh, like Keontae George, who aren't that player, but might make sense next to that player whenever you get them. Yeah, I think those
1: guys do actually have a fair amount of upside as scores, at least. And it's just a question of how good are they? I think, like, getting multiple bites at the apple at that player type it, is fine with me. And, and Sensabaugh, there apparently were some concerns about his knee. I embarrassed myself by not knowing anything about him when we talked about, to Keandre. He was kind of one of Keandre's, I don't say sleeper, because averaging a ton of points, but he's one of the better scorers in the draft. Very interesting body. 6'5", He's an absolute bowling ball and not unathletic either. Certainly you you might want him to maybe lose a little bit of body fat, but I I think like that body type helps, but he can actually get up for some pretty decent dunks off of one foot. And, but really what he likes to do is shoot off the drill from a I he has a very DeMar DeRozan style of game, at least in terms of how he's creating shots. maybe Joe Johnson would be another potential analog, but at 6'5", 230, he uses that big body to create space he has a really nice touch but he also can get some to the rim the one thing that he doesn't have that derozan does he doesn't have that elite lift to just jump over guys and get a shot off he's got to use it do it more with his body and also didn't really draw as many fouls uh, for that reason you know i think his pump fake game is something that he can get to and he can get to the basket some his passing was uh pretty bad there are a few flashes but it wasn't great he's got to work on his three-point shooting off the dribble as well he was better as a a spot-up guy there and then defensively pretty inattentive pretty bad but has some ability to move his feet uh, and maybe you could think of him as a guy even again kind of like DeRozan has you know maybe he defends the four but then operates with the ball some the only problem I would say there is I don't know how well his isolation game because he doesn't have like elite change of direction direction and quickness. I don't know how well his isolation game would work if he's being guarded by bigger players. And I don't know if he's Is he a guy who's going to be so good that you're going to give him the ball and run a pick and roll with the other team's point guard and like, you know, let him back down or get, get to a mid-ranger, but he's a, an elite mid-range shooter off the dribble. And I think he should get to be pretty good as a spot up shooter off the dribble, three point shooting looked a little flatter, looked a little bit more uncomfortable. Like that's going to be a work in progress, but like some of the scoring film on him is very impressive. And just this unique body type, you know, he could certainly bust uh, for a number of reasons, but at 28, a, a guy that I was intrigued by, sure.
2: That leaves us with the number 10 selection. The Dallas Mavericks had it, or well, plenty of different theories of what they could do there. You and I did a whole section of a pod about the veterans they could trade for. And instead, the first iteration of their draft was fascinating because they moved down two picks from 10 to 12 for Oklahoma City. And the reward for them of that was to get off the entirety of Davis Bertans's remaining contract. And Davis Bertans, in case you weren't keeping score at home or reading our useful salary cap sheets, He's making a fully guaranteed $17 million in the 23-24 season and then has a partially guaranteed $5 million for 24-25. So yeah, and that, I
1: apologize, by the way, I, I said the other day that he was totally non-guaranteed for 24-5, but that's wrong, just because he's uh, cause he's an ETO, uh, I, I got messed up there. Uh, if he does play in 75% of the games in 23-24, though, it will fully guarantee, but uh, I think the Thunder might be able to troll. Weather.
2: It seems as much. And so that, to me, as is a very good piece of business for the Dallas Mavericks, because gave them a lot of flexibility for a wonderful brief period of time that looked like they were going to be able to use the non-tax pyramid level and potentially the biannual even if Kyrie Irving might still be able to maybe we'll see if Kyrie Irving got his full maximum which we don't know if that's a guarantee a that he's going to sign with the Mavs and b going to get that entire thing and so the second kind of part of that equation is what these teams did with that swap of picks so the, or the Oklahoma City Thunder took – I think people were pronouncing it – I was going to say Kaysen. I think it might be pronounced slightly differently than that. Um, Wallace out of Kentucky and – dallas moves down i think we do the dallas part of this first because they originally had the 10 pick they trade down and get Derek lively who they potentially could have wanted anyway he's not somebody that we scouted but it's very possible they got the guy they wanted and got off of 22 million in guaranteed salary as an added perk
1: no it was i thought a really really good deal and maybe part of this is the new minimum salary rules and okc feeling like they just had to spend some and they had the guy is in fact case in wallace it is Casey.
0: okay
1: we'll talk about him in a second but from the dallas standpoint yeah lively he had been mocked there for some time definitely makes sense behind Luca, I think you're probably not really going to be a switch team certainly not with Luca and Kyrie so having a deterrent at the rim is good and lively very solid as an alley-oop finisher I mean he's got a crazy 7-7 seven, seven wingspan I mean we would be he'd be getting a ton of attention as the best shot blocker in the draft were it not for Victor Wembanyama. and watching him on film I mean there are different degrees of this rim runner shot blocker type of course the Tyson Chandler has been brought up a uh, I would say actually that lively is pretty mobile. John thought he could be a switch guy. I'm not sure that I could quite go there, but he can execute some different pick and roll coverages at least. And then seven seven wingspan, huge standing reach, and he's a guy who committed a ton of fouls, but he still could do some verticality. And he definitely would just get guys in ways that you don't expect and without really having to get that far off the ground either. I mean, he would kind of you know pin shots against the backboard that you wouldn't expect. And he was pretty mobile. Uh, instincts I wouldn't say were unbelievable, but were still pretty good and was able to one of my favorite plays is and this is important in the nba because of the defensive of three seconds that if he's guarding someone who's you know a little higher on the floor if the ball gets behind him via a pass or a drive he's able to rotate down from the foul line and block shots at the rim which i think is a really important skill and usually guys won't see you coming when you do that so one of the better shot blockers to come out of school in sometime you know way better than like some of these big wingspan guys who have haven't worked out like you know, like a Mo Bamba or even a Bull Bull. Like I think he he just is a lot better. And then he's he really struggles to finish layups around the basket. Like that's not amazing, but he will be able to go up and get some layups. And then there are even some who are believers in his shooting potential he showed a little more of that uh, in high school didn't shoot many at duke but supposedly shot pretty well at his pro day so certainly we're not high on drafting centers high but you know i would i would say that mark williams film as a scorer, like on the ground like catch and finisher was better but i would say that lively was more impressive as a mover as a shot blocker and probably as an alley finisher and definitely with uh, in terms of shooting potential so I, i this is a pretty good get for dallas at 12 i don't know if he's gonna have a walker kessler like rookie season but i think he can show it'll at least show some potential he could also be tradable later and uh yeah okay see uh must have really liked jason wallace that's for sure
2: and they must have been really sure that orlando was going to take another defense first guard or somebody yeah. could well, de- so, radically- so
1: there is an analog for this trade remember memphis In the Zaire Williams draft, they traded from, or uh, New Orleans, I guess, traded down from 10 to 17 and got Memphis to take Eric Bledsoe as a cost of moving down seven picks. Bledsoe was making like 18. So this is pretty similar, but it was moving down two picks. So a a lot different and for two picks. And then they also, Dallas, I think was really smart. They knew that it was unlikely Orlando was going to take a center that they're going to take lively. They already have Wendell Carter. So... To be able to move down, be pretty sure you're still going to get your guy at 12 and get off of her tons is really impressive. Uh, what about the rest of what Dallas did before he moved to the OKC components?
2: So I was feeling very, very good about Dallas. They added this flexibility. They got off of an, a pretty significantly negative contract for minimal cost, if anything. You know, In terms of draft picks, they probably got the same guy they were going to take anyway. And they gave some of that back for a reason later on. So they ended up getting their way back into the first round because at 24, Olivier Max Maxon's plus the, uh, he's a Quebecois guy. So I feel like I can use their, their pronunciation on it. Went to Marquette. Um, they were able to get back in and get him because Sacramento has been pretty aggressively looking to offload Rashawn Holmes. Rashawn Holmes has one, one, More year than a player option, which we both expect him to pick up at this moment. Though, with a strong year, Rashawn Holmes could decline that $12.9 million player option for 24 25. So, that meant that in the overall transactions, Dallas saved something more like. 5 million you could actually reduce that a little bit more because they got an extra pick which they took for maxon's plus pair. and but they did get a player who some people think very highly of and so how you see these moves in connection kind of depends on two factors one of them is the players they ended up with lively and and olivier but then the other part of it is i don't think we need to get into all the nitty-gritty but like do you think it's reasonable for them to still be able to use the non taxpayer level because i think dallas could really use that because of the depth that they need
1: yeah i think- think uh uh Olivier Moxant Prosper and actually his his last name is just Prosper by the way the hyphen is with between his first and middle name oh that's right you know, like Jean-Luc Picard uh well,
2: like 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 many French Canadians would do it <laughs>
1: uh so I mean to talk about him first I mean clearly taking on Holmes was is bad salary for two years even if you're thinking of him as a reliable backup that's more than a five like a five or six million dollar player Holmes is basically ever since he signed that four-year deal which was the most he could sign in an early bird ride he was worth that before he signed the deal and he was so bad they ended up trading for Sabonis and he just wasn't even remotely in the rotation he got outplayed by Alex Len last year Holmes does have that nice floater like he would have been it was one of the better role men back when he was actually still good even like a decent defender and some mobility can he recapture that form I think there's maybe a thought that he could do that playing with Luka Doncic or at least eat some innings for you during the regular season all he has to do is be better than JaVale McGee You <laughs> would think anyway uh, well, also, and, this
2: would- and Dwight Powell who presumably they're not going to resign now
1: yeah or maybe they will and then he'll beat out holmes <laughs> and he'll beat be oh, i mean they, they still as much as they remade their big man rotation they still don't have a starting center that i trust right now sure um so but anyway holmes like playing with Luka Dondrich, playing with kyrie like he could maybe rehab you know he's had a, a rough couple of years personally uh, as well with what apparently were uh, false allegations uh, against him uh, by his former partner and And so maybe this isn't that terrible. You know, you're not just taking on just. 25 million in totally dead money here, and to pay for the 24th pick, like that's not a crazy value to just take on that amount of dead money to get that pick. And I also like the guy that they took uh, because he shoots the ball reasonably well, plays hard, pretty athleticism, huge wingspan. It kind of evokes uh, uh, another hyphenated find of yours for the maps uh, in Dorian Finney Smith. And I think one, what we'll really know about this move is when we see what Kyrie signs for, because if they have that deal. Done with him. And maybe what they did is they said, Hey, we'll offer you another year. And they can also come to it now and be like, hey, if you take a little bit less, we can use the full non-taxpayer. And here's who we can go get. Maybe that would be a, a shorter term starting center. Obviously, they have more that they need on the wing. But if they sign Irving to a number where they can use the non-taxpayer, and to give you those exact numbers now, Irving's max is 47.6. They have 59 million below the first April, and they only have 10 players on. Our contract, so I think if they could get him to start for like forty, they might be able to use most of the the full non taxpayer, if not the full full the full full non taxpayer. <laughs> so that'll be. It interesting to see and they also i mean they would have been in like luxury tax hell. Oh, they probably saved themselves a ton of money but also in terms of the tax but they also gave themselves a lot room a lot more be better on the floor and they picked up an extra draft pick of two guys who really make a ton of sense they desperately needed more athleticism they accomplished that as well so we shall see how good those picks are but the theory of what they did and the value that they got i think was outstanding really good work by them. to go back let's, uh, to let's finish one. up on the uh, sorry do you have anything else on the Mavs or are you going to... No, I was going Let, go to go back to... Let's finish up on the OKC uh, portion here before we talk about Sacramento, which also is, uh quite interesting. Sure. Uh, so, Case, Yeah, go ahead.
2: No, no, no. You know and Wallace better than I do.
1: Yeah, so he's a strong defensive guard, kind of more combo guard size. Doesn't have an absolute elite wingspan. It's solid. Like, he... There's... He evokes some of like that Drew Holiday, Marcus Smart mold, but maybe not quite as strong as Smart. And both those guys have like massive, almost seven foot wingspans, which Wall is not. Uh, but certainly like a really good on ball guy, good hands defensively, anticipates, rotates, like definitely pretty confident that he's gonna be a solid defensive guard. Doesn't translate a ton offensively. He feels to me, just watching the offensive film, like kind of more of a a third guard. Like his shooting stroke doesn't look bad but it's not amazing like we've seen guys with his stroke develop before but doesn't really have like a huge go-to offensively he can finish but he doesn't actually get to the rim very often he's a one and done out of Kentucky so he's I think he plays hard this is another guy who wasn't maybe being mocked this high at 10 so kind of interesting that OKC put such a premium on going to get him I think maybe some of their concern was that that Dallas pick was very available it was kind of no that dallas wanted to trade down wanted to get off a salary that move was kind of out there and so i think they were concerned that dallas would move down to a team below them who might grab wallace who was their target and so they figured shit like that's the guy we want we might as well just do it we don't really have much else that we're doing with our space the, this year and but it, it certainly was a hefty price we've seen them pay what seemed like hefty prices before although worth noting is what we'll get to some of these picks what seemed like a huge price to go get usman jeng a year ago ended up actually not looking that bad because it looks like that washington pick is never going to convey uh the denver pick that they had it ended up being 27th this year year so they actually ended up getting good value on that I this one I mean hey if Casey Wallace is good it was worth it if he's not that great and that's that's just I don't I mean I think they want to get better defensively but I just am not like I don't see an a unbelievable role for this guy on this team like maybe he's just the backup point guard maybe he starts next to Shea and Giddy and
2: they, they also need guys who have trustworthy jump shots on this team
1: right yeah that, that's but that's uh I mean you take the best talent available of course I just he didn't doesn't seem like the kind of guy to me where it's like oh yeah we need to go get this dude even when they went to go get Poku that made sense to me because they're like oh this guy has the upside and I do Poku's necessarily going to work out that great as a pick but this isn't a guy it seems like he's you know a solid defensive guard with like good but not great athleticism and not like the absolute highest skill level so totally reasonable pick I, I mean I it, the, that skill set to me kind of seems more you know mid or like late lottery you know late in the teens than a top 10 guy although again this wasn't like such a great area of the draft and of course we're biased because we sort of think of the guys we did scouting on it's like oh that's the top 10 which of course not necessarily
2: well especially not in one case
1: <laughs> sacramento though holy crap this is uh we we kind of talked a little bit about something like this happening in their offseason outlook but now that it's real it's uh pretty interesting
2: sacramento if they're willing to say goodbye to harrison barnes they could open up more than $30 million in salary cap space. And there are multiple paths here. I mean, one of them is you add free agents, and that could be a single high level guy, could be multiple guys, um, maybe 120, 110, something in that range. And another possibility, which I didn't talk about in part because we didn't think this was going to be their path. I'm not necessarily advocating for it, but I think it's something worth putting a pin in, is using some of that cap space to renegotiate and extend DeMontis Bonus. Yeah, because we, we talked about that pretty extensively, actually. Oh, I think you might talk about a little bit with Hollander too. Um, Um, Yeah. But so but basically, so that that becomes more plausible now. I still don't love it. But let's let's say the more fun version of this is that Sacramento has this cap space to use. Is there anyone that screams good fit with the Kings to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, that that number could get up to the high 30s if they move on from P.J. Dozier and Kessler Edwards. More likely it would make sense to keep Trey Lyles $3.4 million on the books as a cap hold because then they could pay him with uh, early bird rights. And they might want to bring back Terrence Davis to, potentially as well. But so you're looking at probably more like a $33 million max cap space. I think if they even have like four or five million to give Sabonis and renegotiate an extension now, that could work to be enough to give him the uh, the 140% races on the end of that for four years. Because giving him four or five million now, that ends up adding up to like an extra 30 million in the extension.
2: Because the rules are looser now.
1: Yeah. And then or you could even do the approach of if they don't find somebody in free agency like if they were to go after restricted free agent and not get him then you could just like really blast him all the way up to the max this year and then decline him in future years as well if you wanted to go that route potentially so in terms of the fit Draymond Green certainly comes to mind given the all the Warriors connections they may end up being the Sacramento leverages again at that point but I mean and also there's a question of the years as well you know if the Warriors were hoping to get Draymond and green to take a little bit of a discount off that 27 million and sacramento is like hey uh no we'll offer you 30 oh, do they really want to offer for a, a pretty young team overall a 33 year old 30 million dollars a year for four years
2: who also makes their offense significantly bumpier? Well, and,
1: they... and that's the thing, ultimately. Like, sure, he helps them defensively, but his fit with Sabonis on offense is absolutely atrocious. Now, would they consider signing Draymond and then just trading Sabonis? But God, that, that would be a real stomp to the stomach. More of it, more of the chest, actually, I would say. Yeah, sure. Uh, sort of thing you might have to get x rayed for. But I don't even know that Sabonis in the last year of his deal have, and also a deal that wouldn't necessarily be be extendable would have that much trade value even as good as he was last year he did kind of get exposed some in the playoffs and then just the overall market for some we just saw it with Kristaps porzingis i think Kristaps porzingis is an easier fit for a lot of these teams than sabonis sabonis is maybe an easier sell to like a fan base for example because he just made all nba and all-star and all that uh, he's he of course has been durable and porzingis hasn't been but i really if they were to do that i don't really see that fit between green and sabonis i think it would be extremely clunky sure you so- could I've got. An, i've
2: got another one though
1: yeah i mean yeah there are many others yeah
2: definitely jeremy grant yeah we've talked
1: about him some there and as long as he were willing to be in more of a play finishing role and not demand these off the dribble plays like he he would be solid there as an on-ball guy better than barnes but he has kind of chafed at that role like he will want some of his on-ball reps you would think also there's talk even that he could get 30 million a year over five years in portland which sacramento might not even be able to beat necessarily um you know you, there could be someone like a Grant Williams could be someone that they could target but they, they you know, as far as like who's worth that 30 million draymond is really the one guy who comes to mind I mean, like Chris Middleton seems like no about the third man I mean it's kind of interesting it's a little duplicative of Keegan Murray but he can do more pick and roll stuff I and mean, could they try to go the restricted region or not? we talked about how we really would like miles bridges there on the basketball floor uh there's talk maybe that Brooke Lopez could be a good fit there and that's probably right but we sort of saw that already with uh, Sabonis and a center and that really would kind of get away from their their identity but it it could just give them that huge rim protector Sabonis could just kind of play out on the floor and they they would just have a lot more size takes away from some of their transition game too so there isn't a perfect fit there but they are now by far the best team that has actual cap space Eh, and the Lakers maybe we'll see on them but it doesn't seem like they're trending in that direction But this isn't a great year for small forwards, which is what they really need, or like a really athletic power forward type. This will be very interesting to see what happens. And they could also just go the route of bringing back Barnes, renegotiate and extend Savonis, and you could still have enough room to bring in another guy for like 15 million a year, and then also use the room exception too. Maybe they just go the route of getting a little bit more depth. Also, that could be a possibility. But this will certainly be fascinating to see where this uh, ends up. I mean, maybe they want—I don't think. They need another backup point guard necessarily because uh, they got Davion. The monk kind of plays that role. Well, and then, Herder, depending build, on like, how you want like,
2: to structure it, you could use him too. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm really, I, I mean, it's. it seems like you don't do this move unless you have something specific in mind, and maybe that's simply just renegotiating extending Sabonis. But to me, like, I don't think Sabonis would have that much of a market. I think you're just fine to go into free agency with him and just pay him what it takes to bring him back. I don't think there's a cap space scene that's going to be like blowing his doors off necessarily because of some of those fit issues. Or maybe they'll, uh, uh, I don't, we've probably speculated enough at, at this point. I don't have a great answer for what they're going to do, but it sure as hell is interesting
2: it is. And the, you know, it could be more of an internal leverage situation rather than external list of bonus. I mean, he just was an all NBA player for you and you're the most successful year in the last basically two decades. So there, there could be some there, but we'll, we'll, we'll see where that goes. And so with Wallace, Howard and Lively, all players we didn't scout going 10, 11 and 12, that left Um, uh, you know including cam whitmore who we've already discussed that left grady dick also on the board for the toronto raptors and dick's ability to shoot to play off ball it's definitely a different set of skills i I wonder how gary trent jr is feeling about things right now but i think that he's going to help a lot of teams and i think the raptors are no exception there
1: yeah and he plays a different type of way than gary trent and gary trent only opted in as well So I I don't know that he's necessarily long for Toronto. But what I like about Dick and uh, Jordan Hawkins, who also went 14 to New Orleans, is that they can just play a different way. You can run plays for them off the ball that just give your offense another way to attack that not a lot of teams necessarily have. Those shooting sets, especially if you can cut, get a backdoor, two per game as well. And if you can make shots efficiently and just get the defense scrambling, you've got guys you can't leave. That's definitely an element that Toronto and New Orleans both uh, have not had you know i I like dick as well he'll fit in if they do keep this team together reasonably well because they have plenty of athleticism around him and guys who can take on some of the tougher matchups but he'll actually in theory make a three-point shot again you don't want to count on a 19 year old rookie to really contribute in his first year but uh, i like both the fit uh, and the pick at this range of the draft. and then hawkins you have watched more of him than me you want to tell us uh, about his game
2: so hawkins somebody that um we didn't do a full scout on i watched a little bit of him Uh went to yukon was i think he was the most outstanding player in the ncaa tournament and what i liked about hawkins is that he does enough of some of the other stuff even if he's not like a wow passer but you know he has you know he had a couple plays where like he there was one where he tried to dunk all over dude and got fouled so he has a little bit more pop there and hawkins you brought up that like okay that new orleans doesn't have a guy like him and trey murphy is a wonderful shooter but one of my favorite pieces that i saw early in hawkins film is that he has pretty consistent mechanics even coming off of a full run which is unusual and impressive and he has pretty good footwork to create a base on pull up twos. How much Hawkins is going to have the ball in his hands is no big question. So, and he's also reasonably capable defensively. I thought that the um, both Hawkins changing ends and overall his defensive film were better than a lot of the like shoot first guys that we've seen over the years. And you know he's 21 now. Rookie year will be his age 21 season. So. Yeah, there was, a, there was a fair amount that I liked in his film.
1: Yeah, he can't really dribble much uh, at all. He can attack the basket in a straight line and finish pretty long arms, thin, but is can make some plays uh, in help defense with uh, using those long arms. He uh, plays defensively at the rim, uh, and they ran a bunch of crazy shooting sets for him. They had a lot of set plays that would get him open, running him through multiple screens and misdirections and stuff. So he's definitely very capable there. And you never can be sure on some of these guys. He didn't shoot quite the the same percentage as Grady Dick did but it was still very good and the volume was insane he'll be a good enough shooter that you got to guard him out there and I think you should hold up okay defensively so again having that element is pretty solid and you know whether he Jet Howard Grady Dick end up better I mean Kobe Bufkin is a little bit different type player we'll talk about him in a second but all these guys I think are these are reasonable points to, to take them for teams that have a lot of athleticism and, and kind of need the skill set
2: well let's get to the aforementioned Mr. Bufkin who was Jet Howard's teammate at michigan and also backcourt partner what did you think of him
1: yeah the guy that i saw in the videos that i watched of him is delante west smooth lefty but can get to the basket and finish plays with the some toughness very left side forward but uh, has a a good finishing percentage can get to a mid-ranger as well maybe not like the most natural three-point shooter but can make it when he's open and so he was a big riser. I think he averaged you know, three points a game or something ridiculous like that last year uh, and emerged at Michigan. It was surprising that Jet Howard actually went ahead of him because he was mocked ahead of him at times and even was being talked about as early as the top 10. Ends up going here to the Hawks Now, this is unlike the other teams we talked about. This is not a great fit for uh, the Slytherin Guard. You can do more off the dribble, but they've got, obviously, Trey and DeJounte. They just extended Bogdan Bogdanovich, who isn't going to be or uh, tradable for a little bit longer. And then, of course, they also drafted kind of a uh, 2-3 last year in A.J. Griffin. And now, if they move on from DeJounte, there's been a little bit of talk that they might do that. Uh, Brian Windhorst said on the Hoop Collective draft show that they are under a mandate to Get out of the tax, which is they are there right now without a full roster. Oof. So they're going to have to dump someone. There's been talk that could be Capella. There are talks of, of moving him to Dallas potentially. But it would seem that either Capella, John Collins, or Bogdan or Murray is not going to be on this team next year. And there are still plenty of ways uh, for that to happen, of course. But uh, and, and maybe Atlanta couldn't find a way to do that now, and Buffkin or maybe AJ Griffin could be on the move as part of the cost of that. Also,
2: we already talked about Keontae George, and so we can get to another guy that you and I watched a little bit of film on, but not enough to do a full pod on, and that's Jalen Hood Scafino who you know like i i can i get a little bit of where the intrigue came from him went to indiana uh the measurement comps on him because it's, uh basically a little bit under 6'6, 217 pounds with a six ten wingspan the comps are physically are josh green ochai abaji and then i want to throw a really weird one from and then you have to remember this is as, as a combine player not what he became is justice winslow he's actually like jhs's or fino is what a lot of people call him like his measurements are signed it's a little bit weird you think about those guys as all playing different positions. Um, but what concerned me about Fino's overall game is that it the, the not good enough on ball to really be an on ball guy and not a good enough shooter to be an off ball player is a is, is a combination of skills that I have grown to become more fearful of than I used to be.
1: Yeah, basically what he does is like find space in the pick and roll for a mid-ranger, which he makes okay. I think his shooting form is fine though. I, th- I think his, I don't know if his off the dribble three will come along, but if he is off the ball, I think he should be able to make it in time. He has defensive potential, a lot of size, like certainly good ball handling for his size and like an okay enough passer, like seems more combo guardy than point guardy. But the Lakers have traditionally, you know, Austin Reese is someone that Rob Polinka brought up as, as just kind of a guard, more of an old school just guard not necessarily a point guard not necessarily a shooting guard but who can play either position i think he'll just really have to improve his shooting to get to that point really have to improve his defense although he, he has the physical tools to get there but he's not a great athlete doesn't finish particularly well at the rim the numbers there were poor and he was some of the advanced stats like his bpm was actually negative which the offensive bpm was actually negative which is a that's pretty crazy for a a, a guy getting drafted
2: like, especially especially like, in the first college. round.
1: Yeah. Now, he did move into more of a point guard role late in the season after an injury to Indiana's original point guard. I didn't really care for Chapino I know Hollinger was like, yeah, I have 40th or something. The Lakers have usually done pretty well, even when it's with guys that aren't necessarily considered as conventionally attractive prospects. But there are plenty of other mocks and stuff that had Huchapino here. I, I just didn't see, other than simply size, strength, and ball handling, there wasn't a ton to like. About the way he played, but those are some raw tools. Maybe it, it could work out. Kind of the opposite of Hood Chafino was the guy that Miami took at eighteen, uh, Jaime Jaquez, uh, out of your alma. Mater.
2: Yes, and I uh, I didn't watch a ton of UCLA over the last few years, even though they've had some success. But I appreciated what Jaquez did for my Bruins as a you know as a player as a culture setter. I was still surprised to see how much his draft stock has gone up. Apparently, he did very well in individual workouts because. He doesn't
1: seem like he would be a workout guy, right? Like, exactly. not doesn't have this reputation of being, like, a great shooter, or like, a tremendously athletic finisher. I think he just was, like, just a completely insane competitor and in, like, amazing shape was a, kind of more the idea of how he did
2: well in his work. Presumably, yes. And Hawkes, you know, not a not a particularly dynamic athlete. I wished his jump shot, like, dy- dynamic in the way of, like, you know, the obvious, like, eye test, vertical pop, all that type of stuff, but plays hard, plays the right way, and if the jump shot can be real, which it hasn't, I mean, I haven't been super impressed with what I've seen from him at UCLA shooting wise. Like that would definitely help. So Miami generally knows what kind of players work for them. I was surprised at this point that they didn't roll the dice on somebody like Cam Whitmore, but you know that we we know that we're working with incomplete information because whitmore fell this far and some of that can be what happened with michael porter jr where a guy just is in a range that teams didn't really prepare for and so then do you want to take of somebody who might have medical issues that you don't know fully but you know like i was i was somewhat surprised that that was the pick that happened
1: yeah you would have thought maybe utah could have been a, a whitmore team with multiple picks that ended up being houston but one of these teams that kind of doesn't need him to work out this was an interesting range between the lakers miami and golden state all drafting higher than you would normally expect for win now conference semifinals conference finals nba finals level uh, of teams and to finish up on golden state which we probably should have earlier uh, brandon Pajemski out of santa clara a lefty very luke kennard like in his movements and it has like that little kind of slithery floater game not a great movement shooter from what i could tell but extremely accurate on open threes. He could get to the basket some. His passing is was up and down. Also comes out great in the analytics models in particular because he's an awesome rebounder. Uh, so he really likes to stick his nose in there, play hard. a smart player. That was the, the edict, apparently, to get guys who would fit the Warriors a little bit more rather than a raw project type. Though he's not like the oldest guy in the world. Uh, so he's a little more physical th- than Luke Kennard, but still brings some defensive concerns. We'll have to see. I wasn't unbelievably impressed by... Well, little film uh, i watched of him but he's undeniably productive and that's kind of what they're looking for and he'll at least make shots you would think I, i'm hard for me to see a role for him this season which was kind of like seemed like the whole point of this or or next season but maybe that was more about oh we need someone who knows how to play more than the idea of oh we need someone who can help this year because uh, that didn't do, go too well uh, when it was jacob evans i, I think Pajemski looks better than jacob evans but nonetheless uh brooklyn at 21 and 22 back-to-back picks here uh the number 21 came from the kd trade from phoenix and then 22 was their own
2: right and they took noah clowney with the first of those two selections Clowney, somebody who kind of came up a little bit on other film because he went to alabama I, I don't know enough about him to kind of see where his fit is. And the Brooklyn Nets are clearly a work in progress. So, you know, if he can play, that ends up working out. And then I was more interested in Derek Whitehead, who they took in their second of those two selections, a Newark native, which would have mattered more if the Nets were still in New Jersey, which, of course, they are not. But also because Whitehead was an extremely highly regarded. I believe the general idea of him was the number two high school prospect in the country before his freshman year, but then suffered two two foot injuries, and he's not gonna play in summer league, it doesn't look like hopefully he'll be ready for the start of the year. And I actually did see him at the Hoop Summit, and my favorite part of Whitehead's game was that he was able to get downhill both in the drills and the scrimmages. And I didn't love his jump shot in that setting. And again, because of the foot issues Whitehead dealt with at Duke, I don't want to go too much in the stats there, but you know, I, as I, you know, praise the Warriors and I've had a couple times over the years, I actually really like the star-crossed, hot, really, really high-level high school recruit thing in the 20s because, you know, you're always taking somebody who's going to have some sort of flaw and at least there was a time that people who might not have an MBA focus because high school rankings are not MBA rankings at that time, but they had something that got them that kind of buzz.
1: Yeah, I only saw a little more of, of his college tape and looked at Actually shoot spot ups reasonably well, uh, but clearly was bothered by the foot all season. He actually had another surgery after the season that was actually performed by i think the guy's name is martin o'malley the net team doctor so they of course had a familiarity with him and when you have multiple picks and also frankly when you don't necessarily have your own picks and you're sort of in a rebuild good to take some of these high upside swings so Whitehead is a wing he didn't show much defensively this season uh and his finishing at the rim wasn't great His two point percentage it was kind of a struggle but he definitely seems to have the physical tools be interested see what he looks like once he's hopefully okay after this surgery, which they appear to be comfortable with. And then Clowney, somewhat similar body type to Nick Claxton, although I would say a little bit thicker than him. He would start as the four at Alabama and then move to play the five-some. Has some mobility and switchability, maybe. Also, when he played the four, shot more three-pointers. Didn't shoot an amazing percentage, but can also kind of get up uh, on the pick and roll. So he's one of these mobility guys, a little thinner, can play some center, maybe play power forward if the jumper works out so that that's gonna be a key swing skill for him I don't know if he's gonna have the size to be a full-time center necessarily but if he can shoot it well enough to play a little bit about power forward or to both either pop or roll as a center that could be intriguing I, I was when in watching the Brandon Miller film and I watched a couple of other prospects games against Alabama he did stand out to me I, I seems like someone who uh, has some intrigue at least. For
2: yeah I would say the same largely applies for me there and then Somebody who I wanted to watch film on, in part because of my curiosity about identical twins, is Chris Murray, whose identical twin Keegan Murray was drafted by the Sacramento Kings last year, had a nice rookie year. And from what I understand, Chris hasn't shown quite the level of shooting pop and some of the athleticism stuff as his identical twin brother. So he went through the Iowa system, you know, kind of played a similar role. They play, played together two years ago, and then then Chris was the only one still there. And I, I had been, you know, very excited about the possibility of the Murray Twins reuniting in Sacramento. As it turns out, Portland took him one pick early, and the Kings ended up trading out of their selection. And worth noting that that was the pick Portland received in the Josh Hart deadline deal.
1: He ended up maybe being a little lower than they might have thought, but that at least is like sort of a win now pick. Uh, and then of course, Chris Murray going one spot ahead of Sacramento. I guess we'll never know whether had he been there at 24, whether they would have made the trade uh, uh, to Dallas uh, at 24, then 25 had gone to Boston in the Porzingis trade. Uh, uh, of course, I guess it should be the smart trade since it came from Memphis. They really seemed to come in with a strategy of trying to take, that pick and really move it around they ended up with two seconds i think in the 30s that they actually made the pick and three other seconds as a result and that's good currency for a team like them that you can pick up a depth piece at the deadline you can move a guy who's not performing to save on the tax bill they're just going to need all that with how expensive they're going to be going forward and so they took Detroit. yeah good
2: and so detroit took marcus sasser um point guard guard i guess you could put it
1: out of houston yeah, don't know as much uh, about him. He's older. Uh, I think he's actually like close to twenty three, might even be twenty three. And physical, tough defensive guard profiles, maybe as more of a backup, but perhaps an, an experienced hand. He'll probably compete uh, with Killian Hayes, who he might actually still be older than. And maybe they don't bring back Corey Joseph uh, in this scenario. Now that they have him, of course, they also drafted a Star Thompson, who has some point guard type of skills. But this, I think, they just they liked him as a tough guard to be on a cheap contract. He's old enough that maybe he can contribute for them at a backup level over the next few years. Indiana, this came from the Karis Levert trade, which Indiana kind of ended up getting screwed on because it would have been like 15th last year if Cleveland had made the playoffs unfortunately for indiana they did not and then this year they were twenty sixth. that didn't work out incredibly well they got ben shepherd out of belmont uh, another shooting guard uh, as more of a shooter off ball mover maybe someone who could kind of be more of a buddy healed replacement although they've got a billion shooting guards right now healed you think maybe could be on the move they still have chris duarte on this team remember him uh, who was like supposed to be really good back when they were trying to win at the beginning of the uh 21 22 season before everything changed duarte had a loss. Last year, of course, they have Ben Matherin on this team uh, as well. They have Andrew Nemhard, who's kind of a combo guard. So, they got uh, this is clearly just a guy that they thought could be good. And again, you don't, if you have a guy that you think could be good, you don't worry so much uh, about the fit. Uh, then finally, Nick Smith Jr. went. You saw him at, at last year's Hoop Summit. What did you make uh, of him there? And of course, him falling was uh, quite the story because he had kind of a lost year at Arkansas this year.
2: I actually liked Nick Smith better than eventual college teammate Anthony Black during the hoop summit um, enjoyed his communication on both ends of the floor, kept his feet moving. And, you know, so I thought his defensive fit at Arkansas could be compelling. And it was when they were able to, to really put it together with, with, Smith, the questions are, you know, like, what is his role on an NBA team? Is he good enough with the ball in his hands? Can he shoot shoot well enough and and everything else? But yeah, I mean, to, to take him at 27th, and I mean, you, there was possibility that he could go significantly higher than that. So I can't speak to everybody. I, you know, we only saw him kind of in passing because I deliberately watched some of the Arkansas games for Black that Smith didn't play in because that just meant Black was going to have the ball in his hands more. But you know i liked what i saw of him over a year ago
1: yeah he's got pretty good size at about six five for a point guard and you know has some of that slithery athleticism not a nuclear athlete but could definitely get up for some dunks he was overly reliant on the mid-range when he did play in arkansas in part because their spacing was just completely atrocious one of the black games that i tried to watch was against alabama and he immediately got in foul trouble smith did play in that game and so i just ended up watching the first half of it and smith was kind of taking every shot a lot floaters looked very smooth getting to it but it was just a weird team that he was on in arkansas but certainly for a guy who was considered i think he's got like a pretty decent shot pretty decent point guard skills charlotte has uh plenty of guards uh, although they didn't take scoot henderson so there there is maybe a spot at backup one card but can he play with the Uh <laughs> and dennis smith jr i i still think they would probably try to bring him back smith is, is pretty raw and uh you know if you can have two smith juniors on the same team you'd like to do that uh this this pick by the way charlotte got it it was the only first round pick that they got for moving 13 last year which ended up being jalen durden that went to the knicks uh, and then they got this pick back plus four seconds, many of which there were actually for this year that they ended up having to kind of move things around and didn't end up getting a, a amazing value at times either as they they ended up moving 34 and 39 and move up to 31 uh, to get James Nagy there. But this is... So just always interesting to remember where these picks came from. That pick, of course, then was uh, Denver's. It had initially gone to Oklahoma City as Denver moved into the 2020 draft to grab R.J. Hampton, who was then in the Aaron Gordon deal. Uh, And then OKC had that pick. They traded it to New York in that Jang deal. And I think New York got pretty good value moving it uh, for 13. And then, of course, uh, the Pistons ended up getting that. We talked about Sensabaugh at 28. Denver had moved into the draft uh, at 29 with that earlier trade to get 29 and 32 that we talked about yesterday and this was initially Boston's from the Brogdon trade going to Indiana and Denver picking Julian Strother a guy that you've uh, liked over the years from Gonzaga kind of makes sense for a, a Denver team looking again for guys who can come in and contribute relatively early
2: yeah I saw Strather in person uh, in that USF Gonzaga game I went to primarily to see Chad Holmgren so this was during Strother's sophomore year at Gonzaga and, you know, competed hard on defense and did some stuff in transition. Actually, more comfortable with the ball in the hands than you might think. Like, Not something you expect him to do too much as a pro, but, you know, within what advantage is created for him, Strother could do something. But the real sales pitch for him as a pro is that Strather hit 40% of his threes taking more than five per game last year at Gonzaga and so yeah I mean I I remember you know he's somebody who popped enough for me that I've thought about him you know and haven't really watched film on him since then so for Denver that team that can put guys in a position to succeed because of Jokic I'm excited to see what he can do
1: And a guy with reasonable size and athleticism who can shoot the ball is a need for them on the wing especially because those players are tough to acquire in free agency then at 30 the Clippers they had gotten this pick a rather circuitous route it initially was Milwaukee's pick that's why it was number 30 and it went to Houston in that complex P.J. Tucker deal in 2021 when Milwaukee like didn't wasn't really able to make a trade but they did a, a swap to end up of I think 22 and 23 picks that enabled them to get Tucker and stay within the Stepien rule then the Eric Gordon trade to the Clippers involved a swap between the Clippers pick and that Milwaukee pick. And so that meant that the Clippers' own pick at 20, that was what was used to take Cam Whitmore by Houston. And then the Clippers were bumped down to 30, and they end up taking Kobe Brown, a 6'7, 250 pound power forward older, has a 7'1 wingspan, though. uh Was a a score at Missouri. Don't really know much about him other than that. But def- there was all this talk that the Clippers were looking at raw guys. Or maybe that's why th- that was an indication they might be going a different direction, Paul George. In the end, they actually uh, went for older contributors, including uh, at 48. Yeah. They took Jordan Miller out of Miami, who's going to be on a two-way. They went for Eddie a well. And- they
2: went for a well-seasoned Kobe
1: instead. <laughs> Oh, that sounds great right now. Anything in the second round that stuck out to you that you wanted to talk about at all? A couple.
2: Um, I didn't get to watch film on him, and I really wanted to, Um, but Leonard Miller falling all the way to 33 Um, in a pick that ended up going to the Minnesota Timberwolves. They traded two future seconds. I don't think we know which future seconds, though. So that is, San Antonio had this pick, and Miller, Canadian, um... I, I've heard good things about him in the past, and you know, didn't really necessarily strike me too much in the G League film I was watching for distinctly other purposes, but I was. Very surprised to see him, you know, still on the board this deep in the draft, considering some people thought of him pretty highly.
1: Yeah, he was at Ignite. Lefty shot is not amazing right now. It's a, I think it's iffy whether it will really develop to be great. But he has more ball handling skills than you might expect off the dribble stuff, but just plays really hard, can finish around the basket, actually averaged, I think, 18 points in the G League on pretty good efficiency, better than we've seen from any of these other guys. Now, his skill set, 6-9, kind of more of a center shooting range, But the G League is not a large league. And, you know, I think he was maybe more equipped to excel physically there than he might at the NBA level. But I think a guy who can be a rebounder, maybe give a little help defense, finish around the rim, maybe handle the ball and push a little bit. So he should have some versatility. Interesting player. Always interesting, too, when a team specifically identifies a certain guy and goes and gets him, like Minnesota, that didn't have any picks. They give up these future seconds to go get Miller at 33. Free. and the Spurs probably fine moving back they've got plenty of uh, young guys that they're trying to develop. And I think maybe Miller could kind of be somewhat similar to Jared Vanderbilt uh, for them. Uh, Charlotte getting James Naji at 31. He's just a very, a raw, but like crazy tools center out of Barcelona. Uh, they traded 34 and 39 to go get him. Maybe not quite as ridiculous as when OKC traded for 34 and 36 for 32 to go get Jeremiah Robinson Earl. all makes Robinson Earl. Has only been okay. Denver got this guy, Jalen Pickett, who they apparently had really been locked in on. Uh, I want to ask John about how it is that that kind of stuff actually gets out. Chicago breaks in to the first round for Julian Phillips. Second athletic, round. Oh, sorry, second round, thank you. At 35, uh, they we, yeah they sent a couple of later second rounders uh, to get in. Of course, the Bulls forfeited their pick, not their own pick, but a pick that they had that was at the end of the round due to the Lonzo ball 10 Investigation uh with respect to that sign and trade. So good to see the Bulls to get into this draft. The Bucks get into the draft as well. They take Andre Jackson, really interesting defender and passer who can't shoot it all out of yukon's national championship team. And I think that's really, oh, I guess at forty, the Lakers paid four point three million dollars, the most that they could. They still had cash this league year to move up forty-seven to forty, which Indiana had to take Maxwell Lewis, and he's an interesting guy. Uh, I think I like him more for where he was drafted than Hood Chafino, to be sure. Out of Pepperdine has a, a pretty decent shot on catch and shoots. He kind of shoots it a little bit from his chest. Like his, his form on catch and shoots is kind of similar to Jordan Poole, but he shoots a little bit higher on mid-rangers. Uh he, he can handle the ball. His handle's a little high, he'll turn it over some. Liked his first step. He's got a 6'10 wingspan. He's more wing-sized, although thin. Long strides gets good extension on his drive. He's an older sophomore, scored a lot. And defensively, he wasn't great, but he did show the ability to get into a deeper stance and defend it was funny again Keandre and I were just like totally locked in I was thinking right as his video was ending that wow he athletically he really reminds me of Devin Vassell and then he's like yeah Devin Vassell would be not from a defensive standpoint and the steals and all that uh and I, I would actually say maybe Lewis has a, a little bit more natural skill as a driver than what we saw from Vassell although Vassell was younger Jeremy Lamb was a, another comp for him so he, he's an interesting guy just about to turn 21
2: winners and losers we'll have to see the full context later but the portland trailblazers getting scoot henderson at the third pick he could end up being really awesome and we don't know how that's all going to shake out with dame and everything else but yeah. he's real good they got well, him three. and
1: honestly here's the thing too as much as it's dame has been an amazing stalwart for them and as much as they would love to have him retire there and be the greatest blazer in history if this actually pushes them slash pushes dame to ask for a Trade. He's still uh, playing at an all NBA level. He should get them a pretty massive haul. And then to start this rebuild with Scoot and with Shaden Sharp and a whole shitload of stuff and probably some more decent picks coming for yourself. Like that would be really good for the franchise. Like if this is drafting someone, not only drafting someone at three and not trading the pick, but having it be at Dame's position in this playing time log jam that we talked about, if that's what finally pushes them to trade Dame, it will be good for the franchise, at least with respect to winning games overall in the future. And of course, for teams trying to trade for Dame, maybe the Miami heat, uh, this was a good thing as well. Uh, I loved Dallas. We talked about them uh, already. Just got great value. We'll see uh, if they can still if they can get Kyrie cheaply enough to still use the mid level and get someone there too. Then they'll be like massive winner. I mean that that's that could just be really exciting for them. I mean, we, still, you don't want to count on Lively and Omax to. Oh, I, I
2: thought you were going to say you don't want to count on Kyrie, but <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so they still and, and also let's not forget too. They could still potentially make a trade later as well. They still have a little bit of the. Trade exception left, but not much. And then like 5 million or so. Boston, you know, I I just, if there wasn't a guy, if Marcus Sasser at 25 probably wasn't going to matter for them. So to get a couple of guys with second rounders, maybe that can help with the tax bill. And then also to have future seconds replenish those coffers was useful. Houston, Amen Thompson getting what I thought was the third best player at four is pretty solid. And also Whitmore, who I wasn't that high on, but at 20, you got to feel pretty good about that. uh dream on green's financial planner might have actually uh gotten himself a little more work we'll see on that and we'll see on sacramento they paid i consider a fairly not a big price but definitely a significant one to get off of holmes and so we'll see whether they can actually do something that's commensurate with that cost because even uh, omax even or or maybe one of the guys who went after him but him in particular just that skill set would have actually in theory been good for sacramento and we'll see maybe you just won't be good and it won't matter uh i'll add one any other more. winners
2: for you washington is but i i thought they did well in the pool deal they also they, i can't evaluate below cool just yet but they seemed like they got the guy they wanted so hopefully that's yeah, part of I, it i mean example.
1: i'm probably again with the caveat that i haven't done a full scouting in volley but just even knowing what i know now i probably would like him better than anthony black for example who they were mocked to be going for for a while uh and now black wasn't there when they drafted but i was correct that they did not <laughs> they did not end up with him uh it, it seemed again like just insane that a michael winger led team was going to just have it be out there who they were going to draft like that like the, their okc was usually would not do that they really well
2: and uh, and then, and then the other guess. part of the washington is i think they're getting those four pick swaps you know that is a better overall return even if the Beal deal happened earlier well i'll think of that as a loose part of today
1: yeah especially getting the the 2030 because the the 24 26 were likely to be worthless 28 doesn't do much because it's still the third best but getting that 30 that's the one that actually could really be something
2: i think any other winners or should we move on to losers here those are all the big ones for me well, the well, and question, obviously guys. the Spurs, yeah. but the Spurs did it yeah. with the lottery. But I'm still, you right. know, all of us for Victor Wembanyama being in the NBA now.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we've kind of priced that in already since the lottery, so it's not not as interesting to discuss, I, I guess, at this point. But yeah, let's let's not forget this is a pretty important day. Yeah, the guys who had injury questions: Whitmore, Nick Smith. The, they're definitely guys uh, who dropped uh, as a result of that, or guys who had injury play years. Although Derek Whitehead uh, maybe went a little bit higher. Although if you asked where Derek Whitehead was going to be nick smith cam whitmore this time last year all guys were at the hoop summit big recruits you know those were guys who i think people thought would be top five top ten it didn't work out for them uh those of us who are fans of drama really not much happened during the draft nothing no, no significant trades until we got to 10 didn't love okc and the price that they paid obviously uh
2: orlando for me i mean i'm not i'm not yeah. the biggest anthony black fan and then i haven't scouted jet howard but i mean it could end up we could have been in a situation where they could have taken like two guys that i really liked instead they took one guy i saw and didn't love and another guy i didn't even scout
1: yeah and i will acknowledge their conundrum at six that there wasn't really a great fit there and charlotte I and mean, taking brandon miller over scoot that's our opinion right now could end up being wrong uh, on that one and uh i guess a, another big loser would be me tomorrow morning because uh, it's 1 30 a.m. <laughs> and it's 4 30 a.m. there for you. But uh we're going to regroup over the weekend here. We'll be back on Sunday. Got the old mock off season not pretty soon here now. So uh, stay tuned. Great time to be a Dunk Prime subscriber. If you're not a subscriber, please consider doing it. We have a sale here. Our cheapest price for a year membership, you save over $40 off what it would cost to just get it monthly. So highly recommend that. And if you're a monthly subscriber, you should uh, move over. Over to the yearly membership uh, as well and if, if you're someone who doesn't have the ability to pay for the full price membership uh, we do offer reduced pricing There, are instruction on that at the bottom of the letter that is at my pinned tweet so you can check that out we definitely we don't want to lose people who can't afford this uh overpriced so uh we hope that you will consider that option uh, as well if uh, that's your situation talk to you all sunday unless there's an emergency pod before then